Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Good morning and welcome. My name is Nancy Lindborg. I'm the president of the U.S. Institute of Peace, and I'm delighted to welcome everybody here for a very special celebration. Um, Today, we are marking the centennial anniversary of the Republic of Georgia's first republic in 1918. So my warm congratulations to our Georgian guests. And I also understand congratulations are in order because the Georgian embassy won the soccer championship last night. So double celebration. (laughs) Um, This morning's conference, uh, which is co-sponsored with our friends at the Embassy of Georgia and the Heritage Foundation, will celebrate the strategic partnership and the friendship between our two countries. And uh, it will explore both the security and economic achievements, the challenges and the opportunities facing our bilateral partnership. And as we mark 10 years since the Russian invasion of Georgia in 2008, it's also my hope that we will be able to identify opportunities for a lasting and just peace in the Caucasus and beyond. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to the United States and to U.S. Institute of Peace His Excellency Georgi Kirvirikashvili, the Prime Minister of Georgia. I'm also delighted to welcome many distinguished members uh, of the Georgian government. We have His Excellency Mikhail uh, Yanalidza, Vice Prime Minister, Minister, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Georgia. His Excellency Dmitry Kumshishvili, the first Vice Prime Minister, Minister of Economy and Sustainable Development of Georgia. His Excellency Livani Zoria, the Minister of Defense, of Georgia, and His Excellency David Bakradza, the Ambassador of Georgia to the United States. Mr. Prime Minister and Excellencies, I want to take this moment to congratulate you on your National Day, uh, and I want to thank you for being a partner with USIP and the Heritage Foundation uh, for this conference. We look forward to the conversation, Um, and we are very interested to have the kind of conversation that helps us learn about opportunities to strengthen the partnership and to build a just peace in the region. Um, and it is now my great honor uh, to introduce Prime Minister Kirviri Kashvili. He has led Georgia since December 2015. He was previously Georgia's Vice Prime Minister, and he's also served as Minister of Economy and Sustainable Development and as the Foreign Minister. Uh, so this morning, as we celebrate the Georgia-United States Strategic Partnership, We also want to recognize Georgia's contribution to regional security, to the international forces in Afghanistan, uh, and to the UN peacekeeping operations uh, in Central Africa Republic and Mali. 
Mr. Prime Minister, thank you for your leadership, your partnership, and your friendship with the United States. Our warm congratulations on your National Day, and I welcome you to the stage to share your thoughts with us. Excellencies, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to have this opportunity to open the second annual U.S.-Georgia Strategic Partnership Conference. And my thanks go to Nancy Lindborg, U.S. Institute of Peace, and to our many friends at Heritage Foundation for hosting this wonderful event. Last year's conference was the first of its kind, and it was a great success. A good idea is hard to suppress, and I note with considerable satisfaction that this year's meeting is called auspiciously the second annual conference. We stand, as they say, at the doorway to history. History is never far from Georgians' thinking. We have survived so much of it to arrive here today, and of course, the Georgia people are the heroes of this story. Hundred years ago, this month, Georgia took a leap into the future. We gave birth to the Democratic Republic of Georgia as turmoil, revolution, and civil war swirled around our small country, powered by forces much larger than ourselves. Our predecessors may or may not have realized at that existing moment that Georgia's independence, our freedom, would be delayed still further for nearly two-thirds of a century more. The Red Army swept into Georgia just three years after we reclaimed our statehood and at last temporarily, at least temporarily, swept our independence away. But we have been good and persistent stewards of our dream of independence and freedom. Such instincts are within our national DNA. One may speak of formal state independence arriving again in 1991, but Georgia's experience of statehood is much deeper, many centuries deeper. As a crossroads of civilizations, we absorbed much from and contributed much to all those around and while remaining uniquely Georgian and Western. A century ago, Georgia set its course inseparably with the West. Georgia is a not-between land. Our culture is European with strong American accents. Our outlook is Western and transatlantic, as are our values and politics. Today, our economy is among the most dynamic in its region and indeed in all of Europe. Our commitment to democracy and human rights the bedrock of Western and European values is solid, deep, and sustainable. We are proud and active member of the transatlantic community, and we only grow more, or more so over time. The United States was among the first to recognize Georgia's independence in 1991. America supported us when we most needed it during some of the most trying episodes of our own national consolidation. In the last 27 years since our Declaration of Independence, 
Georgia has had no greater friend than the United States. Together we have crafted what may truly be called a strategic partnership. We take the reality of strategic partnership seriously. It is strategic because we share with our American friends a vision of our region and of Europe that is whole and free and at peace. It is strategic because we can look at the same facts on the ground and then share our intrinsic understanding of the importance of these realities to develop strategic uh, strategies for pursuing shared objectives. Each of us brings distinct uh, sets of analytical filters to the challenges we face. Our collaboration is aimed at devising the right strategies to achieve shared objectives. And it is partnership because the sharing is continual and mutual. The United States was quick to recognize the inherent challenges of Georgia's geostrategic position, especially its fraught relationship with Russia and the complexities of its larger security environment. But it was also quick to understand Georgia's advantageous geography, its power to demonstrate and advantages of democratic development and the unquenchable spirit of Georgia's dynamic people. For its part, Georgia understands and contributes to America developing and defending its interest in our region and democratic values everywhere. Georgia honors its part of the partnership bargain by fighting alongside America and its NATO allies in hotspots like Iraq and Afghanistan, where Georgia has suffered more casualties per capita than any NATO country except the United States. Georgia's spending on defense well exceeds NATO's 2% standard, as President Trump has rightly insisted on. We are proud to do so and to support our common security agenda. We are stronger together than apart. The literal meaning of partnership. The tempo of Eurasia is quickening from the stimuli of new trade routes like the emerging Transcaspian Corridor and the New Silk Road. New participants from around the world are now pursuing Eurasia's burgeoning opportunities. New friendships and alliances are forming from Europe to Asia. The significance of Georgia's unique position and therefore of the importance of its strategic partnership with the United States can only grow. Now is the time to pursue a bilateral trade agreement that will bring economic and security benefits to both of our nations. Partnership and strategy go hand in hand with peace and stability. Georgia is honored to be one of America's strategic partners and we are extremely pleased that this annual conference will strengthen and deepen understanding of our partnership to everyone's benefit. Thank you very much. Good morning. My name is Charles North. I'm a senior advisor here at the U.S. Institute of Peace. I want to thank the Prime Minister and President Lindbergh for their remarks this morning, getting us started on this conference 
We're now turning to the first panel. And so if I ask the panel to start uh, coming to the stage. Uh, the first panel is moderated by Luke Coffey. Uh, Luke is the director of the Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation. And he is the author of the recent report, quote, uh, NATO membership for Georgia in U.S. and European interests. Prior to becoming the director of the Allison Center, Luke served as the Margaret Thatcher Fellow in the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation, where he focused on transatlantic and European security issues. Luke, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Charles, for the introduction. And I want to thank our co-host, the United States Institute for Peace and the uh, Embassy of Georgia for including the Heritage Foundation today on this very important event. This is the first panel of this conference. Um, and while the conference will look at <clears throat> the progress and path towards democracy over the past 100 years, we should not forget that Georgia's played a very special role in the history and the culture of the West for centuries, indeed millennia. After all, modern-day Georgia is the location where Prometheus, the creator of mankind in Greek mythology, was chained to a mountain for punishment for giving fire to humans. A statue in the center of Batumi reminds us that the region is also home to the legend of Jason and his search for the Golden Fleece. We talk about the important contribution of Georgian troops today in Afghanistan, but we should not forget that Georgian soldiers actually first fought in Afghanistan in the 1730s in the same places where they are today around Kandahar. And Georgia's path towards good governance and liberal democracy did not start in 1991. It did not start in 1918. But in the 1800s, as the British diplomat and the foremost Cartavellian and first British ambassador to Georgia noted, uh, Sir Oliver Wardrop noted in 1888, I quote, it is interesting to notice that the political ideas of the country are borrowed from Western Europe. Excepting in Japan, perhaps, there is no instance of a people passing directly from feudalism to liberalism. The grandsons of absolute monarchs, the men who little more than a quarter of a century ago were large slave owners, are now the ardent champions of the democratic idea, and they loudly proclaim the freedom, the equality, and the brotherhood of prince and peasant and master and man. Now, today's panel is going to focus on the security and the geopolitical aspects of Georgia and the South Caucasus. Now, in 1918, the Democratic Republic of Georgia faced a very complex and geopolitical situation as well. A German occupation followed by a British occupation, a fear of an Ottoman invasion and an actual Armenian invasion, which led to a very bloody and short war for both sides. And of course, the spillover from the Russian Civil War and the eventual invasion of Soviet Russia, which led to the end of Georgia's democratic experiment until 1991. Today, Georgia also faces a complex uh, situation. 20% of its country is occupied by Russia. It's in a region, a very rough neighborhood, where if you include the Shkinvali region and Abkhazia, and also the situation with the occupation of Nagorno-Karabakh and Azerbaijan, there are 25,000 square kilometers of illegally occupied territory in the South Caucasus. Even so, Georgia has not wavered from its commitment to Euro-Atlantic integration, and a lot of progress has been made. To, to talk about the progress since 1991 and the future of the U.S.-Georgian relationship, we have a very distinguished panel. 
First to speak is His Excellency Mikhail Janelitze, the Vice Prime Minister and the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Georgia. After the Foreign Minister, um, Fiona Hill will speak, the Special Assistant to the President for, and Senior Director for European and Russian Affairs at the National Security Council. Uh, Mr. Robert Karam will follow Fiona. Robert is the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Defense for International Security Affairs. And finally, last but not least, is uh, Dr. Jim Carafano, Vice President of the Catherine and Shelby Colum Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation, and more importantly, my boss. So uh, <laughs> I would uh, encourage loud applause at the end of the panel. <laughs> no, there you go, there you go. Uh, Minister, please. Thank you, Luke, uh, for this introduction. Thank you all for being with us today. This is a very important uh, conference. This is a very important day for us. Uh, we are holding uh, the second uh, forum, conference uh, of strategic partnership between the U.S. and Georgia. And as Prime Minister mentioned, you know, we've done a lot to come to this uh, moment uh, and to reach this level of development and to reach this level of uh, partnership with the United States. And we are proud to be a strong partner. And uh, also, I would uh, not hesitate to say that NLI in the region for the United States. Uh, we have gone through many difficulties, as it was already mentioned, but uh, we, already, uh, we always fought for freedom, we always fought for democracy, and we always fought uh, for, uh, to be part of a free world. In uh, 1918, uh, Georgia was one of the first uh, European democracies uh, aimed at uh, establishing um, the uh, free country with one of the best constitutions uh, for that time, ensuring all the rights uh, and uh, liberties. Since then, you know, we... Although being under authoritarian rule, maintained our fight for, for freedom and for liberties. And uh, in uh, 1991, we started building our new state and uh, institutions. We've done that with the help of the United States. And uh, today, we are actually uh, proud to be one of the among a uh, few countries uh, ready with its institutions and uh, capabilities to be a partner and ally for the United States. It's mostly about uh, democracy. It's mostly about uh, freedoms. But at the same time, it's about geopolitics and the uh, interests of the West in the region. In uh, 1918, uh, there were uh, big interests of the Western countries uh, uh, towards Georgia because Georgia was a gateway to South Caucasus as well as to Central Asia. Their geopolitical interest continues to be relevant today. Georgia continues to be a gateway to uh, the South Caucasus as well as to Central Asia. Uh, and uh, today we see big uh, uh, actually change in terms of development which uh, I want to um, uh, address uh, specifically. We see shift of economic development uh, uh, 
towards Asia, towards uh, Eastern Asia, but at the same time, this development moving towards the Central Asia. And uh, that is translated into more uh, transit routes, into more uh, economic cooperation in this corridor. And I think uh, the role of Georgia is rising in that regard. We are witnessing uh, enhanced uh, trade and economic cooperation between Europe and Asia. Only between the EU and China, uh, trade has uh, grown by 100% uh, uh, during the last 10 years, and th that trade will grow further. At the same time, uh, we see new projects uh, in energy developed in the region. Uh, we, see, uh, we will uh, launch uh, on 12th of June a new project, TANAP, which will bring new uh, Caspian energy to um, the European market. But there is still other resources uh, not delivered yet to Europe uh, from Caspian. And uh, Georgia continues to play a very important role in er energy diversification and diversification of energy routes uh, and supplies for Europe. So this... Uh, actually uh, makes Georgia, uh, again, relevant uh, for the West. It makes uh, relevant Georgia uh, for Europe and their generally uh, trans-Atlantic uh, unity and Euro-Atlantic community. But at the same time, with these economic factors together, we, uh, we see many security uh, challenges in the region. We are in a region uh, which uh, has still many conflicts, uh, active conflicts, uh, not talking about Georgian, uh, Georgia-Russia conflict, but conflicts around us. And uh, Georgia plays a very important role uh, for the West uh, and for the region in general for keeping security, contributing to the um, uh, stability and uh, security of the region. We are the largest per capita uh, troop contributor to the Afghanistan mission. 870 soldiers. It's not about just being the largest non-NATO troop contributor. There are many NATO countries which have much less contribution to the Afghanistan than Georgia has. At the same time, time Georgia is uh, without any caveats. And uh, actually, we suffered the most together with the United States. And it shows how committed we are to the regional security, how committed we are to uh, defend uh, the interests of the uh, transatlantic community and the Euro-Atlantic community. At the same time, uh, we are, uh, we have become from an aid re recipient country, we have transformed into a country which contributes uh, also to uh, the needs of uh, your Atlantic community, with our spending and uh, defense uh, readiness, with our economic development and opportunities for the Western businesses to um, grow and uh, approach region uh, from Georgia and uh, to, have, to use Georgia as a good foothold for its interests, and uh, to be a uh, partner in uh, defense and uh, security cooperation, as well as in uh, trade economic cooperation. Here, in these two directions, we see uh, potential for next steps. 
to step up our relations and to move from strategic partnership to maybe strategic alliance. Uh, we are very much interested to contribute and to work with the United States, not only in bilateral uh, format, but also in multilateral. You know that uh, we are fighting for membership in uh, NATO. U.S. leadership in that process is key and uh, uh, crucial. And uh, we were very much encouraged by the statements uh, just a few days ago by Secretary Pompeo, as well as statements by, by Vice President uh, when he was in Georgia, that Georgia will become a member of NATO. We are having all practical instruments in, uh, which are actually moving us towards membership. We have more instruments than uh, any other country uh, uh, being a, a candidate country for NATO membership. And we believe that uh, uh, we are well prepared to make next steps uh, on our membership path. And we are uh, sure that when we are confident that Georgia will be a clear added value for the Euro-Atlantic security. Uh, and uh, <coughs> once we are members, we'll bring more benefits to the uh, interests of the Euro-Atlantic community. Georgia is an uh, important uh, player uh, in the region generally. We are working not only with the Euro-Atlantic community, but uh, we are working with our neighbors. We are working with Central Asia. We are working with East Asia. And uh, Georgia is, much, is very much interested to be a, a very interesting bridge. We are part of Europe, but at the same time open for Asia, and to be a, a reliable partner for everyone to cooperate in Georgia and to create new opportunities uh, with the help of Georgia. The, generally, the global environment is very difficult today. Uh, we know that uh, there is big uh, uh, challenge to the democratic development in general. And uh, we see that uh, the trends which we have uh, in the economic development, which we have in the uh, informational revolution uh, age, are affecting a lot the politics, internal politics as well as international politics. And uh, we need to find ways how to uh, find uh, ways to cope with, this, with those challenges, to uh, find uh, democratic outcomes, and uh, how to stand together uh, to uh, you know, be successful uh, in uh, building further peace and stability for your Atlantic community. Authoritarian regimes are very happy to see these challenges on a global scale. Uh, they are trying to actually challenge the Euro-Atlantic unity, um, finding these loopholes and cracks uh, through these developments on global scale, and we should not let them use that for their benefit. That's why I think in this period, especially uh, moving forward uh, with the uh, integration process of Georgia in Euro-Atlantic institutions is critical. Georgia is 
at the front lines. And we should not let uh, the powers interested in actually uh, removing Georgia from this family uh, do it. And uh, it's time to make new steps in bilateral as well as in multilateral settings. Thank you. Thank you. That's absolutely right. And I think... Um, I think any future membership, NATO membership for Georgia, will be built on a very strong U.S.-Georgia bilateral relationship. Um, and speaking of the U.S.-Georgia bilateral relationship, we're very lucky to have Fiona Hill today with us. So over to you. No, thank you so much, uh, Luke. And uh, it's just such an honor and a privilege to be here today, I have to say, um, with such distinguished company to talk about... Um, a country that looking out into this audience I think is dear to everyone's hearts. I see so many people here who have been so invested in building up the partnership uh, between the United States and Georgia that we're celebrating today and who have been active in building this up for, I think, best part of three decades now. Uh, Georgia really is a very remarkable country, uh, part of a very remarkable region. And I think for the United States and, you know, speaking here on behalf of so many of my colleagues from the National Security Council and from the White House and across uh, the U.S. government, it's a great honor to be the partner of what appears on the surface to be a young country but is really an ancient land with um, such a great uh, heritage that we can all share in. A little allusion there to the Heritage uh, Foundation. Yeah, sure. see, we, uh, um, we can all build on uh, this, the, the great depth um, of um, the, the relationships and the contributions. As you said, Georgia is a great contributor, but the contributions that uh, Georgia has given uh, to um, Western and global uh, history and, uh, and culture. I mean, Georgia is a country that uh, is not just part of the region um, that Luke alluded to that gave us fire, that was forged in fire, yeah. in the fire of World War I. I mean, this is the 100th anniversary of the U.S. entry into World War I as well. Uh, we've had a whole host of uh, commemorative events uh, to mark um, uh, what really brought the United States uh, most clearly into um, the history of the last 100 years of Europe and of the Western world with the American um, intervention force. And Georgia itself was playing its own role, not just in uh, trying to exert its national sovereignty and fighting for its own identity um, on the ruins of uh, the Russian Empire, but uh, Georgians themselves were fanning out and starting to play um, a larger role in claiming that. I mean, I think of one of uh, the great heroes and great Americans, uh, General uh, Shalikashvili, um, whose family ostensibly came from Poland but were part of that great Georgian diaspora that played such an important role in actually um, forging the Russian Empire um, in its uh, period. The, the Georgian royal family, Georgian warriors, Georgian generals uh, were really the backbone um, of the Russian um, imperial forces before moving out to become their own um, independent force. And I'd just like to um, celebrate and to thank uh, the members of the Georgian Armed Forces today who have stood with us um, at great cost to themselves, great self-sacrifice, collective sacrifice, in um, helping us with uh, our own expeditionary uh, wars to fight for our own uh, security uh, and, uh, and interests uh, from Afghanistan and also Iraq, uh, which we can't forget as well. We have so a few in the audience. Thank you. A few back there, there. I mean, this, this is part of a great tradition and a great history. Um, growing up in the United Kingdom, um, I actually grew up with lots of stories of Queen Tamara, 
the warrior queen um, of the Caucasus, uh, you know, going back uh, to the period when Richard the Lionheart was... Um, uh, being a bit feckless, it has to be said, <laughs> across <laughs> Europe and falling uh, into captivity in various places. And always Queen Tamara, at least in the legend and the stories, would somehow come to the rescue. Uh, and most people didn't realise, I think, in, in reading about her, that, of course, she was one of the great queens and the, uh, the great uh, progenitors of uh, so many legends and stories in Georgia as well, which Georgia is now able to claim as, uh, as part of its uh, heritage. I think the image of Georgia, not just as a contributor, but as a crosswords and a great gateway is important too. Because when you stand at a crossroads and you stand at a gateway, you look back as well as looking forward. And it's that great history, that great tradition uh, that we can celebrate with the 100th anniversary of reclaiming our independence, something that's very um, strongly fought for. I think, um, you know, as we look uh, to the other contributions, not just to our security, but uh, uh, and also to that, that partnership, I'd like to give a shout-out to someone I've seen in the audience here, Mamakud Seratili. Um, who ought to kind of go down in the legends of the future legends of Georgia, <laughs> someone who brought Georgian wine back to the world. Uh, I know that Georgians and Armenians and others have a little bit of a battle of who was the first <laughs> creator of the wines that we know of today. I know that you said there's no story. I hope none of our Armenian colleagues are in the uh, audience today. But Mamaka, uh, I think without question, um, has been uh, someone who has... Uh, brought Georgian wine back to where it belongs in the pantheon of, uh, of great wines. I remember many years ago meeting Mamako when it seemed um, a very difficult quest uh, to make sure that uh, you would have a Georgian wine you know, on a, on, a, on a table in every American household. He's not quite there yet, but he's certainly uh, working uh, towards it. And I think that that actually shows, um, again, uh, the evidence of the great potential that, uh, that Georgia has looking forward. As Foreign Minister John Lidzi has uh, talked about, when you're thinking of free trade and the great spirit of that, Georgia has uh, so much to offer. Uh, the potential of Georgia as a tourist destination. Uh, my own niece got in touch with me recently saying that she was thinking for um, uh, her summer vacation of going to Georgia. Did I know anything about this and could I recommend anyone? <laughs> Do I know something about Georgia? And I told her how I recalled my own first encounter uh, with the great hospitality and beauty of Georgia in 1988, so 30 years ago. In fact, it was actually 30 years ago this month. Uh, shortly before I met uh, the great Teda Japaridze, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, which came just a little bit later uh, from that. But I was a student in the, what was then the Soviet Union, took a trip to Tbilisi and burst into tears, I have to confess, when I first looked out of Tbilisi, thinking I'd never seen anything quite so beautiful. This was after, you know, kind of a long winter <laughs> in Moscow, stuck in uh, Sai when it was minus uh, 20. Spring had broken out all over the place, and I stood on, uh, you know, what was uh, one of the vantage points looking out of Tbilisi and thought, really, my goodness, can somewhere really be look like this? Yes. And Tbilisi looks even more beautiful today uh, after, uh, you know, shaking off uh, the dust uh, of uh, the old uh, Soviet Union and becoming one of uh, the most beautiful uh, countries uh, again, as it always has been uh, in the region. You can see that I could go on and on here, but I just want to say again what a great honour it is uh, to be able to represent um, now today the National Security Council and the White House um, after... Uh, such an amazing uh, period that uh, George has gone through, that all of us here in the audience have gone through uh, today. And I'd like to celebrate everybody who is also here who has played a role in this. Um, I see Judy Ainsley, who um, was in uh, this same position 10 years ago uh, during the very fateful um, period of um, the uh, Russian invasion of Georgia. And we've come a long way since then. And I think that um, everyone here, and especially our colleagues from Georgia, should be very proud of the accomplishments and that um, it's a great honour, again, for us to be able to celebrate with you your 100th anniversary, as well as the second annual 
conference on the strategic partnership between the United States and uh, Georgia. And thanks to our colleagues from SRP and from Heritage for putting this on. Thanks, uh, Fiona, for, for those. Um, <laughs> thank, you, th thank you for those very uh, personal and passionate remarks. Um, Robert. Uh, well, Luke and Nancy, thank you uh, for the invitation to be here and to uh, the U.S. Institute of Peace and the Heritage Foundation for putting together the second annual uh, conference on this incredibly important strategic partnership. Uh, it really is an honor to get to represent the Department of Defense and talk a bit uh, about uh, our important and blossoming uh, defense relationship that I think has really been truly important for both of our countries. Um, I'll be very brief, uh, not only because uh, I think we'd all like to get to questions, um, but also because even with prepared remarks, it would, hard, it would be very difficult to be as eloquent and comprehensive uh, as the foreign minister uh, and Fiona, and alas, I do not have prepared remarks. Um, <laughs> but uh, looking back at just the history uh, that we've already talked about this morning, a uh, uh, hundred years since Georgia's uh, original uh, independence, um, 70 years of Soviet occupation, 27 years of independence since 1991, 10 years since um, Russia's unprovoked uh, invasion uh, in 2008, uh, and as Secretary Pompeo noted just this week, um, Russia continues to occupy 20% uh, of Georgia. Um, it's hard not to be uh, impressed and surprised at the progress that Georgia uh, has made um, in spite of so much adversity um, and a commitment um, to uh, defending uh, its people uh, and its values um, and its commitment to Euro-Atlantic integration uh, is, is truly impressive. Um, I looked back at the U.S.-Georgia Charter, um, and I know some uh, people uh, in the audience had something to do with it. In the wake of Russia's uh, most recent invasion uh, of Georgia, uh, and I think it's important how uh, prescient uh, that document was uh, and how it stands uh, up after, after a decade. Uh, and it speaks to our shared values, uh, our common interests, um, the importance of the rule of law, um, the importance of territorial integrity, the inviolability of borders, uh, and the importance of sovereignty. Um, all principles that are under assault um, today, um, uh, in part uh, or in particular by, by two countries uh, that are national security strategy uh, and national defense strategy name. Um, Russia uh, and China, um, who seek to undermine uh, the rules-based international order um, uh, that uh, has, has uh, helped to create the conditions uh, for uh, such peace uh, and prosperity. Um, but that peace and prosperity uh, will only last if we can defend it. And it's very important um, for the United States uh, to have partners uh, like Georgia uh, who are so willing uh, to contribute to our common security. Um, and here, I would like to pay a special homage to uh, Georgia's armed forces who have been with us in Iraq, in Afghanistan, who contribute to the UN mission uh, in Mali, uh, and are very, very far away in, as Nancy said, the Central uh, African Republic. This has come at considerable cost. Um, dozens of Georgian soldiers uh, have been killed. Um, hundreds wounded over the course uh, of their time uh, in these conflicts, conflicts that are far away from Georgia. Um, but the things that we are fighting for as partners 
um, I think, resonate uh, in Tbilisi as they do uh, in, uh, in Washington. Um, more recently, uh, I think we've been very appreciative uh, of not just the extent to which Georgia has contributed to these common causes, but it's taken its lessons and helped others. Um, and uh, its own efforts to treat its wounded warriors uh, are paying dividends in how Georgia has helped Ukraine, um, uh, the latest victim of Russian aggression, uh, treat uh, its, its own wounded warriors uh, and incorporate them back into, uh, into society. Um, uh, I also want to acknowledge, um, I think, um, uh, a relatively new program, the Georgia Defense Readiness Program, um, which has taken a long-standing program aimed at helping Georgia contribute more effectively to these international efforts um, and make sure that as the United States helps train uh, and equip uh, Georgian soldiers who are going uh, to, to fight uh, in Afghanistan, um, that we are also focused on the long-term uh, effort to help Georgian, Georgia's defense forces um, uh, uh, provide for their own security uh, and territorial defense. Um, and uh, this is not simply something that the United States does. Uh, it's a shared program. And Georgia's own investment in training ranges and bases uh, and capabilities um, really highlights the extent to which this is a true partnership. Um, uh, just another uh, quick word on defense reform and defense institution reform, uh, where Georgia has really been uh, a leader. And I want to recognize uh, the defense minister and his team um, for their continued efforts to make very, very tough decisions. Um, um, in reforming not just the ministry, um, but also tough decisions about acquisition and personnel um, that are hard uh, in our system uh, and hard uh, in the Georgian system. Uh, and that Georgia has been able to make these decisions uh, despite the occupation, despite uh, the pressure, uh, I think uh, really uh, is a model uh, for other countries, whether they are in NATO uh, or not in NATO, of the need to modernize and reform uh, militaries uh, to meet the challenges uh, of today. Um, and I suppose I would just close um, with uh, noting uh, the progress that I think is being made uh, towards NATO membership, uh, the opportunities that the uh, Enhanced Opportunity Partnership uh, present and that Georgia has taken advantage of, uh, and to reiterate Vice President Pence's uh, statements uh, last year um, that uh, Georgia will be uh, a member of NATO. Thank you. <clears throat> Robert, thanks for that uh, overview of the U.S.-Georgia defense relationship. Um, it's flourishing. It's heading in the right direction. It's positive news. Um, it's also, we talk a lot about Afghanistan, Georgia's contribution to Afghanistan, but it's also worth pointing out, too, a, a reminding, actually, I should say, that at the time of the invasion in 2008, Georgia, I think, had the second most number of troops in Iraq um, after the United States. Um, so this commitment, um, you know, sort of predates um, it's a uh, need for greater security after the uh, invasion. Um, now over to uh, Jim Carafano to yeah, wrap us up. Give me a second. No, I always like to check to see if President Trump tweeted anything about Georgia. Before <laughs> I, no. hey, I do that for my, all my public remarks. Um, <laughs> no, I want to I say uh, I have three points I want to make. And, and the first one is I want to say the things that Robert and Fiona can't, right, which is to explain President Trump. Um, 
because I do think it's important when we talk about this relationship that we put it in context, the larger context of what this administration is doing and what the president is trying to do. So when, when Donald Trump says America first, what he means is it's his job to put the vital interests of his country at the forefront of every single decision he makes. And I think why that's important for this conversation is, is if you believe that your job is to protect America's vital interests, then at the very top of the list is the peace and stability of Western Europe. That, that literally, that is an anchor of America's place in the world and, and comes above everything. And there is nothing more key to that than uh, the success of the transatlantic community and the transatlantic partnership. That has to be at the very top of your agenda if you're serious about protecting us and our peace and freedom and prosperity. And I think this administration's been very clear in its actions about what the great threats to that are. And they are the destabilizing policies of Russia and also the potential of challenges in the Middle East to bleed over and affect the stability of Western Europe. This administration gets that, and it's the forefront of all their policies. And while that's important to this conversation is because Georgia is a cornerstone in that strategy. Georgia is a corner of Europe that is vital to, to complete that whole piece of, of transatlantic security in the U.S.-European partnership. And so that, I think, that message and, and that position really, I think, is the shadow that frames everything we think about when we think about the U.S.-Georgian partnership. Then the other thing I would do is, the second point I want to make is to ask, say the things the minister can't say, right? This is what he should be asking for from us. And I, and I think there ought to be two big asks. Um, the first thing I think is that we bring Macedonia into NATO and that, and that that happens. And it would be great if it happened this summer. And I think that's actually be, would be, uh, is very important to Georgians for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it would demonstrate in the ascension of Macedonia that NATO figures out how to deal with complex issues. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that's an important message to send. The, the second one is, is that the, the door is always open because NATO is an alliance of nations that love freedom and security and work to want to work in common cause to that. And nobody can dictate to the members of NATO who they can and cannot invite into that community. And, and the third thing, I think, is it, honestly, is it clears the decks. Because honestly, after Macedonia, there is only one country that is ready and qualified and where we need to take seriously, and that is Georgia. So I think it just moves that ball one step closer to what inevitably has to happen. Um, you know, the other thing I think I'd ask for from the United States is um, many of you know about the, the Three Seas Initiative. It's it a great initiative. It's largely really a, a, an initiative of EU countries. And it's, you know, primarily designed to kind of build this um, economic and energy backbone, uh, you know, across uh, um, northern and central Europe. And uh, I do think it is, is um, has, in many ways, is really key to the, to the healthy future of a prosperous and secure Western Europe. Um, and that's fine. The, you know, Visegrad and the EU, they should have a three-season initiative. But I think the U.S. ought to look at that, and I think our initiative, and we ought to broaden that, that we ought to think of that as a four-season initiative, right? Because there are two very important bodies of water that kind of fall on either side of Georgia. And that integrating that fourth sea into this concept and into that economic development program, I think, is something that is great for the transatlantic community. And I think it's something the United States ought to be be uh, front and center in doing. And then the, the third point I w- would say is, is, is my optimism for all this 
And it's simply because Georgia has paid its dues. Georgia has earned the right to be a member of the transatlantic community and to stand with the other free nations. No, I mean, I, I mean, the reality is, is, is if Georgia has not earned America's friendship and confidence and trust and partnership, then really, what other nation in the world really has? So, thanks. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> still, Great. still no tweets. Yeah. Just, <laughs> we're good. Um, before we open up to questions, I'm going to pose a couple uh, myself. Uh, first to um, the minister, what would you um, define as success for Georgia at the upcoming NATO summit? Well, what are you hoping for, just broadly speaking? Yeah. No, I'll be very specific. Uh, we are anticipating the actually uh, decision which will uh, define the reality. The, the reality is that Georgia has uh, improved uh, and uh, changed and uh, came to the um, standards of NATO uh, uh, very successfully. During 10 years, we changed our democratic institutions, we changed our uh, economy, we changed our uh, defense and security system. We have all instruments in place which are preparing us for membership, and it is recognized by NATO. And I think that this reality should be uh, clearly recognized uh, on the, at this summit. To be honest, we are ahead of uh, even some members of the alliance with our readiness and uh, uh, all the institutions, also with our contributions. We know that what is the key factor there uh, in the decisions, and I think that uh, there should be uh, more political uh, understanding uh, to move with the membership in Europe, and also in the United States. When we are talking about Macedonia, uh, we were very happy also that Montenegro joined NATO. We are happy that Macedonia is uh, on its way to membership, and we wish them uh, success uh, on that path. But uh, I think when we talk about Georgia, it's more about a political decision. And we need to work and find that political decision. Uh, we look forward to this kind of talks uh, on this summit. Right. Well, not only do we have a very distinguished panel, we also have a very distinguished audience. I see a lot of Georgia watchers, followers, supporters, experts out there. And um, one of my favorite parts of panels like this is actually the Q&A uh, section of it because uh, you learn so much as a panelist, too. Um, so I'm going to open it up to the floor. We have 
Microphones on, on both sides. If you could please um, state your name and any affiliation that you might have, um, that would be very useful. Um, do I see... Uh... So nothing that was said was even slightly uh, controversial. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to do um, Yes, sir. We have a... Uh, from, from here... Can't quite make out the rank, but a Georgian officer. Uh... Thank you. Colonel Kaptaradze, Georgian Army, uh, currently attending the National Defense University, College of, Internal, uh, College of International Security Affairs. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my question is uh, the following Georgian aspiration to, to NATO, to, to join the NATO. Uh, what are your thoughts if it goes to minister and to other ones um, to... The, to the idea which, which was announced by moderator of this panel, Mr. Luke uh, Coffey, uh, joining NATO as a whole nation without occupied territories until the, they are deoccupied peacefully, uh, especially having uh, in mind uh, the examples of uh, Germany, Guam, and so on. Thank you. Maybe for the benefit of the audience, I could quickly summarize the proposal the gentleman's talking about, um, because this is D.C. and there's no such thing as shameless self-promotion. Uh, there's a report out there that uh, I, I wrote and that I published um, that uh, one of the proposals, thinking of a creative, uh, a creative and realistic way to get Georgia quickly into NATO, was a, an idea that because Georgia already has a non-use of force pledge to get back the occupied regions... Why not invite all of Georgia to join NATO, but set aside the occupied regions where they don't get Article 5 protection until that conflict is resolved peacefully? And this isn't questioning Georgia's territorial integrity. All of Georgia would join. But there are examples of NATO members that are in NATO, and not all their territory is under Article 5 protection. Uh, Falkland Islands for Britain, Guam for the United States, for example. And this would require an amendment to... Um, Article 6 of the 1949 North Atlantic Treaty. Article 6 describes where Article 5 is applicable. And in 1952, this was amended when Turkey and Greece joined. Um, when Algeria became independent, Article 6 was changed again because before French Algeria was included under Article 5. So there's a precedent for this. So that's the uh, proposal that the, uh, the, the gentleman was talking about. Not giving up on Georgia's territorial integrity, but finding creative and new ways to maybe speed up the process. So um, I think the question was addressed to you, of course, Minister. Yeah, you're you. probably tired of answering this question because <laughs> we've said on other panels before where you're asked this as well. Yeah, and our answer is clear there. So, um, first of all, the territorial integrity uh, of Georgia uh, is uh, the most important issue for Georgia. And uh, uh, everything what we are doing, uh, Euro-Atlantic integration or European integration, our membership in NATO, etc., uh, these foreign policy priorities are oriented to uh, finding ways how to restore peacefully uh, the uh, territorial integrity of Georgia. NATO membership for us is uh, uh, an opportunity to build an even stronger democracy, uh, to build even resilient, more resilient country, able to uh, protect uh, all the rights uh, of its uh, people living on the whole territory of Georgia, create a country, an attractive country, 
for uh, everyone. Uh, so an opportunity for uh, reconciliation, uh, opportunity for more engagement, and uh, actually uh, new prospects for everyone. This is the case in, uh, in, in relations and in regards with the European integration. You know that we have association agreement with the European Union, which is, has deep and comprehensive free trade area agreement, and uh, we are trying to share the benefits of that uh, European integration process on the, uh, with the people living in the occupied territories. We have elaborated a new mechanism and uh, new, uh, actually, mechanisms uh, and the programs for sharing those benefits with the people living in the occupied territories. When it comes to uh, NATO's position, NATO's position with regards to the territorial integrity of Georgia is clear. NATO is the most important and for us a key uh, guarantor of our territorial integrity. And uh, I think when it comes to the question, uh, you know, application of Article 5 on the occupied territories, it's more of a, a technical part of a political decision. Thank you. And, and I'll just add to that that the reason why this proposal would work for Georgia, not for Ukraine, for example, is because of that non-use of force pledge. Um, that's what separates, you know, Georgia from other uh, countries that aspire to join NATO but are also involved with, with conflicts with, uh, with Russia. Right. Um, I knew that one was coming. I'm glad we got that out of the way quickly. Uh, any other... Uh, Comments, questions, uh, remarks? Now, I, I see, um, I, I'm going to call him out. I hope he doesn't mind. But we're very lucky to have in the audience the Adjutant General of the Georgia National Guard, Georgia, the state, uh, Major General Gerard. So I was wondering if maybe you could just give us a comment or two about what your state is doing um, uh, to help uh, Georgia in the relationship had a relationship with the country of Georgia military for about 24 years now. So next year will be 25-year anniversary. We're very honored, and uh, we've cherished that relationship. It's a great one. Uh, probably about 10 or 12 times a year, we travel to the country of Georgia, or some of their members come to our state, and we work together to get better. And uh, so that's us getting better and uh, helping them to improve as well. So uh, some of the things that we have worked together on could be anything from military uh, decision-making process at, at different levels of staffs to also uh, currently our chaplain corps is working with uh, the military in Georgia to develop, uh, to help them improve their chaplain corps or to develop a chaplain corps. They do it differently than we do. They have priests that are not in the military uh, that minister to them and so forth. So just talking about those type different things. And uh, and we will get together with uh, General, I don't think General Chachabaya can make it uh, next, uh, in a couple of weeks, but Europe uh, has a state partnership program conference every year uh, in uh, Germany, and we'll, I'll meet with uh, a representative of their leadership and their sergeant major, and my sergeant major and I will go over and, and uh, participate in that conference here in a couple of weeks as well. So um, just a great relationship where... We're Georgians, so it, it works, and, and we, we, uh, we're brothers and sisters, and uh, it, it's a great relationship, and, and we both get better from it. So 
with yeah, your Thank you, General. Sorry for putting you on, on, the, on the spot there. But yeah, that state partnership program is so crucial when it comes to building the capacity and capabilities of our European allies. And, uh, you know, to make it as confusing as possible, the state of Georgia, of course, was assigned and paired with the Republic of Georgia. Um, turning back to the panel, uh, I was wondering if maybe Fiona or Robert could give um, some insight on the, the thinking behind the decision with Javelin, um, some of the logic behind it, and uh, maybe talk about what you know, the, the next steps of the U.S.-Georgia security and defense relationship can be, because a lot of times with the discussion of Javelin, whether it's Georgia or Ukraine, many people think this is like some magical silver bullet. Yeah. Um, but it's not. Um, it, it's a part of what should be a larger strategy. Um, so could either of you uh, say something? Well, I'll um, leave the, some of the specifics to Robert because this is very much the purview of uh, this overall defense relationship that Robert's talking about. But I just want to um, uh, underscore what you've just said. I mean, certainly the thinking behind that was very much as part of a broader strategy uh, towards uh, Georgia. Um, uh, uh, there is no um, silver bullet uh, for building up any kind of defensive uh, capability, and I think that it's you know, a testament to our colleagues from the state of Georgia and from the long-term, uh, long-standing uh, military relationships at all kinds of different levels, and the commitment of uh, the Georgian um, armed forces uh, to train with us, uh, to fight alongside of us, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and in other expeditionary um, uh, ventures, that is really the secret of uh, Georgia's success and its ability to be able to defend itself and to also project um, its influence, which I'm you know, pretty confident that Georgia will be over time, more broadly in the region and through uh, you know, this, uh, uh, the, this network of uh, military defense and other uh, political contacts uh, throughout uh, Europe. And the partnership that already exists between uh, Georgia and uh, NATO at this, uh, at this stage. So you can't think of one particular system without thinking of uh, the entirety of uh, the uh, defensive yeah, posture the whole, uh, whole and, and the whole uh, package of the relationship with Georgia as well. And I think it's actually unfortunate that there became so much fixation on the issue of, uh, of javelins uh, in the media and elsewhere and, and making that seem as if this was a momentous uh, decision in of itself. And the momentous decision was really the decision that Georgia took uh, you know, 25 or more years ago uh, to stand with the United States and to build up this partnership with us. Yeah, no, I, I, hard to improve on that. I would say just a couple things. First, the silver bullet is not a single system. The silver bullet really has been Georgia's commitment to defense reform and modernization um, and a willingness to spend um, uh, money on capabilities that will allow it to, to help uh, the Georgian military defend itself uh, against uh, aggression. Um, and uh, I would tie this back to the U.S.-Georgia charter, which commits the United States to help uh, Georgia responsibly defend its own territory. And I think the steps that Georgia has taken um, uh, in the 10 years since that document was signed made this an easy decision, um, uh, that uh, Georgia's commitment, uh, its responsible uh, and reliability uh, as a partner um, made, uh, made the decision to sell this capability. Uh, I think quite quite easy for us. Um, but as I said, it is not the silver bullet. The silver bullet really is the sustained commitment to uh, defense modernization uh, and and uh, and reform. Uh, I would say one more thing um, to connect back to something that Jim had said about the three C's initiative. Um, 
the Baltic, Black, and Adriatic. Uh, there's a different three C's. Um, C is in the letter um, that we talk about in the NATO context. Um, cash, um, capabilities, uh, and contributions. Um, cash, meaning how much money is a given country willing to spend on its own defense, 2% being the 2014 Wales Pledge. Capabilities, how are they spending that money? Um, uh, the Wales Pledge uh, highlights the extent to which we would like to see, NATO would like to see its members spending more than 20% on capabilities and modernization, and contributions. To what extent uh, are countries contributing to the common defense of the alliance? Um, and here, uh, I would highlight, um, if you use this 3C approach, um, Georgia really excels. Um, and that, more than any individual system, I think highlights the the extent of part. So, I, actually, let me ask you a question. All right, um, not not to go too far afield, but but I think that since Americans and Georgians have contributed so much in in Afghanistan, and it's worthwhile, and you do Afghanistan for us. You served in Afghanistan. Talking about why we should continue that, why we both should continue that commitment in the Afghanistan mission. Yeah, well, um, you know, Georgia's right up there, as was already pointed out, with this commitment to Afghanistan. And I think it's because of um, two main reasons. The, the first is that uh, Georgia wants to be seen as a net contributor to uh, regional and global security, and that's why it plays such an important role. But also, Georgia sees the potential of what could happen in Afghanistan around the world if we were just to cut and run. Um, you know, it's been well said. I'm sure many of you have heard this fact before, but I think it's 20 out of the um, almost 100 uh, U.S. designated terrorist organizations operate in the Afghan-Pakistan border. Um, and now is not the time to, um, you know, to, to leave this mission, which is now a training, advising, and assisting mission. And uh, it's important that the U.S. leads the way on this matter, because if the U.S. leads on it, then other countries like Georgia and our European allies will, will follow. And Georgia, I mean, really uh, sets itself uh, apart from other countries, um, whether in NATO or not in NATO, in terms of its uh, very important contribution. And I know there's going to be a decision coming up sometime this summer on the future of the U.S. and NATO mission in Afghanistan, and it's important that we... We, we take a reasonable, realistic, and a responsible approach to that operation, and no doubt Georgia will be a, a part of that. Um, in my report, uh, I, I highlight, um, moving on to a, d a different subject, I highlight um, the, the different cases of what is called borderization um, of, of Georgia, of the two occupied regions, the Shkin Valley, also called South Ossetia region, and, and Abkhazia. And basically, these are cases of Russian-backed forces or FSB forces um, physically moving a boundary or a border where a Georgian will go to bed and free Georgia and literally wake up and occupy Georgia. Or farmers are, have their crops divided or, or sign, signs are posted, fences are built, di uh, ditches are dug. And uh, I've, uh, through a lot of research, um, mainly with the help of my research assistant, Alexis, she spent a lot of time uh, finding GPS coordinates of small Georgian villages. She's the leading expert on Georgian villages. And uh, uh, we, we uncovered uh, 56 cases of borderization 
at 48 different locations since 2011. And uh, these have a real impact on the lives of the Georgians that live in this region. So I was wondering if the, if the minister could talk about you know, what Georgia is doing to raise aware of this on the international stage, um, what you're doing for your non-recognition policy, um, what you're doing to um, show the people that are living in occupied Shkinvali region or Abkhazia that they do have a place in Georgia, that they are Georgian, that the Georgian government and the Georgian people care about them. Because I know there's been some recent initiatives with this that um, are, are trying to bring the communities together wherever they can. So I was wondering if you could expand on some of those, yeah, please. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this question and for raising this issue. This uh, occupation of our territories remains to be the greatest challenge for Georgia. And it's not only about occupation today, but we see the process of factual annexation of those regions through the so-called integration treaties. Uh, Russia is absorbing those two regions uh, uh, in all the directions. Unfortunately, we see uh, constant provocations on the occupation lines. We see, uh, you know, uh, kidnappings every day. Uh, last year, only more than 300 uh, citizens were kidnapped from the occupation line. Unfortunately, we see uh, still um, uh, cases of murder and killing. Uh, um, you know, Gigaut Hosoria was Georgian IDP killed at the Abkhazia occupation line. Uh, and uh, uh, just recently this year, uh, IDP uh, from Skinwali was killed uh, in detention in Skinwali, and uh, the body was not returned to family for a uh, few weeks. So these are the provocations, constant provocations we are having on the occupation line and the in the occupied territories, as well as not only ethnic uh, discrimination, but uh, also ethnic cleansing happening there. Last year, for instance, in September, uh, the, the whole village, Eredvi, uh, was actually uh, erased from the map, uh, all the Georgian house, houses of Georgian IDPs were taken down, and uh, under so-called Russian investment program, the farm farming was developed in, in that village. So uh, these are the clear signs of uh, uh, ethnic cleansing, not only discrimination. Discrimination is happening there uh, every day. The, the people uh, are left uh, without right of education, right of uh, having property, owning property, uh, getting education in uh, native language, and etc. So the uh, challenges uh, are really uh, creating big obstacles for the full-scale development of Georgia. And uh, what we are trying to do is to find uh, peaceful ways for the conflict resolution. First of all, you know, we, we are trying to push Russia to fulfill its uh, ceasefire agreement of uh, 12 August 2008. Unfortunately, uh, there were 43 rounds held in Geneva. Uh, the Geneva <coughs> discussions were established under the ceasefire agreement, as you probably know, and as you know. But unfortunately, 
there is no any movement on any points of the ceasefire agreement. So you mentioned the non-use of force pledge from the Georgian side. There is no any uh, readiness from Russia to reciprocate. The fifth point of the ceasefire agreement uh, talks about the need of uh, withdrawal of Russian forces to the pre-war positions and establishment of international security arrangements on the ground, but there is no movement on that issue. There is no movement on the IDP uh, returning uh, issue. So to reinforce and uh, strengthen our positions in Geneva, we are working also in international organizations. And actually during last two years, uh, Georgia has uh, really uh, very significant results in international fora. Uh, we had uh, maximum support to our resolution in the UNGA, General Assembly on the uh, IDP, return of IDPs. We had uh, first time a uh, resolution adopted by the UN Human Rights Council on the need of entry of international uh, humanitarian uh, monitoring bodies uh, in the occupied territories and uh, especially the uh, High Commission of Human Rights of the UN which is, who is not allowed to enter the region. We are uh, actually working within the Council of Europe and uh, unprecedented decision was taken by the Council of Europe uh, this um, uh, spring which talks about the uh, uh, Russia's uh, legal obligations as a uh, force uh, exercising effective control over the uh, occupied regions. It's a, in legal terms, it's a recognition of occupation by Russia of those regions, which was a very important uh, document. Unfortunately, uh, since 2008, uh, there were no uh, re relevant decisions made in international fora. There were no relevant even resolutions made uh, about uh, the Russian aggression uh, in Georgia. So we have to uh, do now even much bigger efforts in order to achieve some results, especially when you have Syria, when you have Ukrainian uh, hot conflict and etc. to raise awareness of uh, the situation in the occupied regions of Georgia is much difficult than it was in 2008 or 2009 when Georgia was the only country uh, to be under the uh, aggression. But unfortunately, we failed at that time to uh, raise that uh, international attention. But now, actually, last two years were really, uh, really very uh, significant <coughs> in that regard. Also, uh, was uh, especially uh, significant here in the U.S., as uh, Congress has first time um, put the language on the occupation of Georgian territories in its Appropriation Act, it was uh, also Congress and administration approved some kind of sanctions for the uh, countries which have some relations with the occupied territories. It's like uh, prohibiting any financing of uh, those governments and countries who have relations with the occupied territories. It was really very significant uh, mm -hmm. support from the U.S. and also uh, decision for non-recognition okay. because it is a great tool for us to work also with other countries yeah. on, on non-recognition. <coughs> uh, 
Um, and uh, generally, we try to use every format. Yesterday, I was uh, on the Security Council meeting. Uh, the debate was organized by the Polish presidency about the uh, protection of civilians in armed conflicts. Uh, if there is no hot conflict in Georgia, it doesn't mean that civilians are not suffering. The cases I brought is a real example how even in this situation when we don't have hot conflict, there are um, killings of civilians and the suffering of uh, civilians uh, due to this conflict. So I talked about that uh, on the Security Council. Russia is violating 39 Security Council resolutions. Mm -hmm. And Russia is in violation of all in its international obligations. Today, actually, there was last uh, hearing of uh, the um, case uh, in Strasbourg court about uh, Georgia-Russia-Georgia Russia, Georgia conflict. We hope that uh, Strasbourg court will take relevant uh, decision because we provided all relevant arguments about the violation of eight uh, actually <coughs> points of uh, the charter by the Russian Federation. So we work uh, with our diplomatic instruments, with our uh, um, actually peaceful policy in order to find ways how to push Russia to uh, deoccupy, fulfill its ceasefire agreements and fulfill its uh, international obligations. Right. And <clears throat> I'm very proud as an American that across administrations, Bush, Obama, and now Trump, the U.S. government has continued to recognize the presence of almost 10,000 Russian troops on Georgia's internationally recognized territory as an occupation. Uh, Vice President Pence made it very clear that it was an occupation on his visit last summer. And it's extraordinary to think that there are some of our European allies who still will not use the, the word occupation to describe the, the presence of Russian troops on Georgia's internationally recognized territory. I mean, they're not there on vacation, that's for sure. Um, Mamuka. Thank you. Uh, th thank you, Luke. Uh, excellent panel. panel. Um, thanks, Fiona, for promoting Georgian wines. That's important. <laughs> uh, for, the, for the record, the uh, American Academy of Science published an article on uh, November 13, 2017, proving all this discovery of wines uh, found in Georgia. <laughs> Uh, but my question is unrelated to wine in this case. It relates to security and relates to uh, some of the commitments that Russia and formerly Soviet Union had vis-a-vis -vis Helsinki process and uh, con conventional forces in Europe CFE treaty. Uh, and Russia withdrew from CFE treaty in 2007 and in is in violation of Helsinki uh, final act by occupying territories of other countries, including Ukraine and Georgia, of course. Uh, but at the same time, we, Western world, still uh, honor commitments to CFE treaty on all those agreements, including Russia-NATO uh, 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 Act, which prohibits permanent stationing of troops in, in Poland and Baltic states and so forth. So we still have troops there on a rotational basis. So my question is to U.S. government representatives. Uh, uh, are there any any considerations uh, of changing some of those uh, maybe arrangements that are, uh, that are well, commitments that are made to Russia based on those agreements. And uh, as we all understand, Russia only understands power politics. So by 
placing larger forces in Black Sea and Eastern Europe somehow balanced desire of Russia to be more assertive. And, uh, and by the way, I should mention that Black Sea is becoming a very important economic outlet for Russia. Its largest, Norosisk is already the largest uh, oil out, outlet. And there are, in terms of trade, it's the largest, uh, largest trade port for, for Russia. So economically, Black Sea is very important for Russia. So balancing Russia in Black Sea militarily in order to reduce appetites of aggressive actions, I think is essential. Any considerations of that in the U.S. government? Thank you. Very good question. Thank you for that. So, I, I mean, I think the Black Sea is not just becoming more economically important for Russia. It's also becoming more militarized uh, by Russia with the militarization of Crimea, a larger naval presence, um, the use of uh, the Black Sea to project power into the eastern Mediterranean. Um, and it's precisely Russia's militarization of its western and southern military districts that I think have led to uh, a larger, if rotational, NATO presence all along the eastern flank. Um, and the United States, across administrations, has been increasing its commitment, whether um, uh, in the Baltics uh, or uh, the Black Sea uh, region. Um, I think our first priority is to rebuild uh, the strength uh, of our allies and partners. Um, and that is, I think, the essence of our effort um, to get NATO partners to have credible plans uh, to meet their Wales pledge. Um, the second, I think, is to bring Russia back into compliance with its international agreements, whether it's CFE or Helsinki Final Act or the INF Treaty uh, or Open Skies, um, and that our first step uh, should be to try to get uh, Russia to live up to its obligations and to return to a stable, rules-based approach uh, to uh, international affairs, which will be far less costly to everyone um, than uh, having to confront uh, a dangerous uh, new world. But Fiona, do you have anything you want to add? Well, I'd like to add to this that we also have to be very careful, I mean, not just to think in um, conventional military terms. Um, we use the term hybrid war. I mean, the Russians don't use that because they think, of course, of kind of the more the totality of war in the information field, political, uh, economic, uh, not just in the military terms. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that we have to face is how to balance off uh, the kinds of approaches and um, investments that Robert has talked about. Uh, with also the commitment to building up our own, we've talked about it as resilience, our ability to resist, ability to withstand, to blunt, or to stop uh, some of the other effects of, uh, of uh, Russia's approach to warfare uh, and, and aggression. I mean, Georgia has faced not just uh, the seizure of its territory and now the occupation of its territory, but cyber attacks. I mean, with, on the front line of many of the subversive attacks uh, that Russia um, has developed into an art form uh, that it is applying elsewhere, including here in the United States, but you know across uh, across Europe and in the Balkans and uh, in, in many other uh, places. And I think we have to have a shared commitment. Uh, and Georgia has already shown uh, that it's very serious about tackling this um, to be able to figure out ways in uh, which we push back on this too, and to make it clear to Russia that it's not just you know kind of living up to the um, old agreements of CFE. But if we are to have a different relationship, if Georgia is to have a different relationship with this you know, major neighbor of, it, of its, if the United States is to have a different relationship with Russia, a more positive one looking forward, not always constantly back uh, to old grievances or to um, old conflicts, 
then we have to do it on a, a, a completely different basis. And it's unacceptable uh, for Russia to use this coercive power, be it by military occupation and, and the seizure of territory, or be it by hostile cyber attacks or trying to subvert and undermine democratic processes and, uh, and governments. And that we have to stand together uh, to be able to uh, show to Russia that that isn't acceptable and to move forward to picking up our theme of the kind of the gateway and the crossroads, because we're at an inflection point in history. And if Russia wants to be part of a shared future, then um, it, it basically has to move forward on the basis that the partnership between Georgia and the United States is showing as the only way uh, uh, to, to build a common future together. So, I mean, it's complicated, it's very difficult, but I think if we continue to work together and to learn from each other, there are things that we can do. And the Black Sea, um, you mentioned the economic importance uh, and the energy importance, of course, <clears throat> but also then there's a, a political importance for the U.S. too. Yeah. The countries that form the Black Sea account, well, minus Russia, of course, but then the, other, the countries other than Russia, Bulgaria, Romania, Ukraine, Turkey, and Georgia, that are Black Sea countries, actually contribute one-third of all of the uh, resolute support um, troops in Afghanistan. So just these five countries contribute one-third. So these are countries in the region that are, are serious about NATO security, serious about the, the, the three Cs, cash, commitment, and, and uh, capability. Is that right? Yeah, cash, commitment, capability. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, we, we should, uh, you know, yeah, we should, you know, focus on, on the, the countries in this region, too. A couple of ideas that... Um, <clears throat> I proposed in the past was uh, uh, creating a um, uh, like a, a Black Sea uh, maritime policing force based off the Baltic air policing mission. So have a have a permanent list of of NATO countries that will commit in advance to entering the Black Sea because, of course, non-Black Sea countries are restricted by the 1936 Montreal Convention. You can only spend 21 days at a time in the sea. There can only be seven non NATO Black Sea, or non-Black Sea countries in the Black Sea at any given time, and the aggregate tonnage, I think, is like 25,000 tons altogether. So there are huge restrictions on, on non-Black Sea countries operating in the Black Sea, so we need a commitment from the alliance as a whole to find a way to patrol and be active in the, in the, in the Black Sea more. Another idea that impacts Georgia is um, create a, uh, a center of excellence for Black Sea security inside Georgia. Now, NATO has a bunch of centers of excellence that are uh, around the alliance. They're, they're certified by NATO. Um, and there hasn't been a center of excellence created um, that is in a non-NATO country, but there's a first time for everything. And I think it would help anchor NATO more into Georgia and into the Black Sea and acknowledge Georgia's importance not only to NATO but to, to Black Sea security. And it could, the center could be used like the Center of Excellence for Cybersecurity in Estonia or the Center of Excellence for Energy Security in Lithuania uh, to help the alliance and its partners better understand how to address some of the unique security challenges in the Black Sea. Um, so there, there's plenty of ideas out there on, on how to do this. Um, I think we have time for one yeah, final question. The Black sea. Oh, yes, also, of course. Because this is a very important issue and a top priority for us. We want Black Sea to be a sea of development, peace and stability because, uh, you know, we are developing new maritime connections <coughs> with the European market we, for the physical integration. You know, this is key to 
overcome the challenge which has been created by Russia. And for that, you know, NATO presence on the Black Sea is very important. We uh, really um, welcome the uh, NATO focus on, on the Black Sea. Uh, we had uh, discussions uh, during the Warsaw Summit where we actually agreed to have a deeper dialogue uh, between NATO and Georgia on the Black Sea security. We've been contributing uh, with, you know, to uh, you know, Black Sea security by providing information from the Georgian side. Unfortunately, there's been the one-way street until now, so we look forward to have more dialogue and, uh, you know, the more engagement also from NATO. We have uh, tabled our proposals uh, last year, a year ago, actually a little bit more than, than a year. We worked very uh, actively on that subject, uh, and we hope that uh, deeper cooperation on the Black Sea security issues will be one of the outcomes of the uh, upcoming summit in Brussels. For sure. Yeah. Uh, we have time for one final question. I see up in the, the gallery, actually. Uh, coming, uh. Alex Malikishvili, IHS Market. Uh, thank you very much for, your, for the panel's comments, uh, informative and insightful. Um, I have two questions for the minister. Uh, one, Estato uh, Nashvili's case earlier this year, abundantly showed uh, Georgian, remaining Georgian population in the breakaway regions um, faces imminent threat from the separatist authorities. Now, uh, do you have, uh, does the Georgian government have any contingency plans whatsoever if and when separatist authorities decide to harass and mass the remaining Georgian population either in South Ossetia or in Abkhazia? That's my first question. My second question has to do with the um, upcoming, please correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, another meeting of Karasin uh, Abashidze format is supposed to take place in Prague fairly soon. And it's my understanding that the Russian government just recently finally signed on to the 2011 agreement that would entail monitoring of any goods that enter and leave breakaway regions uh, via the Swiss company. Can you update us on that? Thank you very much. Thank you for the questions. Uh, I will reiterate our strategy with regards to the occupied regions. Uh, I uh, talked about that uh, uh, during my previous answer. Our strategy is to find uh, peaceful ways for solving those uh, problems and uh, ways uh, based on international law. We are using all instruments uh, available uh, today, which are not as effective as we want to see them, but uh, these are the only instruments which exist today, unfortunately. These are international organizations which are actively involved uh, in the peaceful conflict resolution process. Uh, we use Geneva International Discussions. We use uh, incident prevention and response mechanisms, which are established under the Geneva International Discussion format. And <clears throat> with the mobilization of international community, we try to uh, actually um, push uh, the uh, occupation regimes uh, as much as possible. Uh, not to see the developments what we have uh, on the ground today. Unfortunately, 
this is not about separatist regimes, but it is about Russian policies, mm. which are uh, driving the um, the processes and uh, um, policies on, on the ground. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we see uh, no any uh, we don't see any readiness from Russia uh, to find uh, solutions even to the humanitarian issues. But again, we will use. Uh, all uh, international instruments uh, in our hands to um, protect the rights of all people living on the occupied territories. It's not about ethnic Georgians, but also we believe that others, even Abkhaz and Ossetians living today under the Russian occupation, they are suffering a lot. They are suffering from the isolation. Uh, they are not allowed to have uh, any contact with normal contact with the international society, free world. They are under the big propaganda pressure. They are under the big KGB control. Uh, and uh, they are suffering a lot. So we have to find solution for everyone, not only for ethnic Georgians, but everyone living in the occupied territories. And therefore, government of Georgia, I have not answered that question during my previous answer, has elaborated a uh, actually very important uh, program uh, called uh, Step for Better Future, which is about creating new opportunities for everyone living in the occupied territories. This is about creating uh, more confidence, uh, creating uh, more opportunities for reconciliation. I think that will create... Uh, some more positive environment uh, within the uh, uh, population in the occupied regions uh, and uh, help to finding peaceful ways for, uh, for the engagement. We cannot change, unfortunately, the uh, occupation regimes, which have uh, quite different agenda and different interests, different from uh, actually humanitarian interests, uh, but uh, there is only way to counter that, you know, the full-scale mobilization of the international community, what uh, is now uh, the priority of the government of Georgia. When it comes to SGS, it's good that Russia finally signed the uh, contract uh, with the SGS. Uh, we hope that uh, Russia will start uh, implementing this uh, agreement which was signed in uh, 2011 uh, in line with the provisions of this agreement. Great. Um, well, that concludes the first panel, so please join me in thanking our, our panelists. <clears throat> right. We've ended exactly on time, 10.45. We have a coffee break until 11.15, and then we'll start our second panel. Thank you.
Okay, welcome back, and, and thank you for being here. We'll get started with our second panel. Uh, and our second panel, why don't you come on up uh, uh, to the stage. Uh, the, our moderator for the second panel is Jonathan Katz. Uh, Jonathan is a resident fellow with the German Marshall Fund of the United States. And he, before he joined the German Marshall Fund, uh, Jonathan was the Deputy Assistant Administrator uh, with, uh, for Europe and Eurasia with the Agency for International Development. Thank you, Jonathan. And, uh, and panel, come on up. Uh, please. <laughs> we, we, uh, I, minister could sit right here and then uh, Brock next to him. And then I think we're going to put you all the way at the, at the end. Uh, right here, right here. Oh, Great. And then also, Christian, right here. Where, where am I? Um, yes, I'm changing right. Okay. And then, please sit right here. Thanks. Sorry, we're cha changing the choreography a little bit. Thank you. Please sit down. Well, thank you uh, so much. We, we have this great panel here uh, this morning. Uh, the first panel was really great. And uh, first, I want to thank USIP, also the Heritage Foundation, uh, as well as uh, the Georgian Embassy and government for, for being able to join you here uh, this morning. And I was, I was a little, uh, um, I, listening to the first panel, I, I couldn't help but notice that the the topic of the second panel, which is economics, was focused on by the foreign minister, who has, I know, a great interest and background in economics as well. So it was good to hear some of those topics already discussed. Um, what we're going to do, uh, obviously, today, and I thought Luke did a, a magnificent job uh, just uh, as a moderator, but also just uh, bringing into current, uh, uh, current context uh, U.S.-Georgian relationship, but also looking historically at, at U.S.-Georgian relations and some of the challenges uh, that Georgia is facing from the, both the security, the political, but also economic as well. And the panel that we're having today is going to focus on, uh, on how do we uh, grow uh, the U.S.-Georgian economic relations, but we also um, have a, 
uh, a leading official from the European Union, from DG Nier, Christian Danielson here, uh, who is deeply engaged with the Georgian government in support of its efforts to fulfill DCFTA and association agreements. And I think we all would agree that Georgia has been a model for economic reform uh, in its region, but also globally. Uh, interestingly enough, every year I look at the World Bank uh, Index, the Ease of Doing Business Index, and I think every single year Georgia is always, uh, you know, sort of top ranked, and I think they can't go any further. And every year they kind of go one step further, and I think in this year is in the top ten, I think number nine uh, globally, and I think that's really a testament to the to the work of of the government, to partners uh, that are sitting here from State Department, from the EU, from USAID. And Mr. Minister, obviously your leadership uh, as well at keeping Georgia on the right path, looking forward, uh, being strategic. And I think uh, there was a lot of discussion in the first panel about NATO, uh, but there's also interest on your end and other agreements, uh, some that you've been involved in in the past, including uh, some of Georgia's trade relations. I think Georgia's overall FTAs and other trade arrangements include uh, over $2 billion 2.3. 2.3, thank you. Correcting me. So you can see Georgia really is at a geostrategic crossroads economically. Um, and I think part of what you're looking at, what your government is looking at in the Georgian people, is how do you build on the success that you're having? Um, how do you uh, strengthen economic uh, inclusivity within Georgia? Um, how do you tackle some, some issues that remain, including unemployment issues? Um, in fact, some of the same issues that we face globally – uh, but Georgia is, uh, is in an enviable position based on its resources. I think it was mentioned, uh, Georgian wines, uh, tourism, uh, energy, uh, crossroads, Silk Road. Uh, if you go down the list, Georgia is, uh, is really in, a, in an amazing space to be in right now. Faces challenges uh, with Brock here. Hopefully an opportunity to talk about some of the areas and Christian to talk about some of the reforms but area is tough spaces, and I know uh, that we're also, not only is this the centennial of, of, of independence, but also it's the 10-year anniversary of, of the war that took place and, and Russian aggression. <clears throat> and I think the remarkable part of that is the, the progress that's been made after um, that war took place, which your government deserves a lot of credit for uh, really creating that success. But I think it's really the issue of resiliency and how you've taken a situation with the support of Western allies like the United States, like the, like the EU, to support that transition. And so I just wanted to, while we're here today, not only to talk about the steps that need to be taken, but also to reflect on, on what, the, what success has been so far. And hopefully we can step back. And I will just say that as a congressional staffer at that time, in 2008, we were part of a um, of a group of bipartisan members of uh, staff and members of Congress that supported, uh, I think it was $1 billion in assistance to Georgia. Altogether, 4.4. Okay. I mean, that, that came in quickly, and I think that really highlights the commitment that's been made, not including the resources that have come after that or the resources from the EU as part of this uh, association agreement in DCFTA. So I really want to turn to each one of our speakers right now for an opening statements. And, uh, Mr. Minister, you've been uh, the minister since 2016 uh, of, 
and uh, first deputy prime minister since 2016, and then also uh, the minister of economy and sustainable development since 2017. You also were vice mayor of Tbilisi, I think, uh, which really shows that you know how to roll up your sleeves at the local level to get things done, which is critical when you talk about local development, SMEs. Brock, I know you're going to talk a little bit about the support that, that's provided on that end, but uh, we really appreciate your leadership. Uh, to your left is Brock Behrman, who was sworn in on January 8th as the Assistant Administrator for USAID's Bureau for Europe and Eurasia. Um, also just brings an amazing amount, both private sector experience and public sector experience, uh, even served locally in Rhode Island in the uh, State House there as well, but also at FEMA, Department of Interior, um, has started up several businesses of your own. Um, I, you know, having you here today is, is, uh, is great because I think you bring the sensibilities of someone who's been both in and out of government and now is overseeing the USAID's portfolio overall uh, in Europe and Eurasia, but also Georgia specifically, and are co-chairing the Economic Working Group, which is part of this uh, overall strategic partnership effort. To your left is Christian Danielson, uh, who I know quite well uh, for working uh, with you closely at USAID, who was appointed Director General for Enlargement at the e European Commission in Brussels um, and has, has been in this position since 2015, um, this Director General for Neighborhood and Enlargement Negotiations, which really is an incredibly large and challenging portfolio. Uh, we were talking earlier uh, before we came in, and uh, if I can quote you as saying that, that Georgia has been a star uh, pupil in its efforts to uh, integrate further uh, with the EU, uh, but also into Euro-Atlantic institutions. And we really look forward to hearing your thoughts on where Georgia stands. And then maybe I, I might ask a more uh, delicate question of, of the future of, of uh, EU enlargement and, uh, and where that stands, especially for a country like Georgia, which was said earlier, if Georgia isn't uh, as ready as any country uh, for NATO, uh, I don't know who is, but I could say the same thing for EU membership. Certainly they have ways to go, but they're really making uh, a great deal of progress. And uh, what does light look like at the end of the tunnel uh, for Georgia, even though I know that's a sensitive question? And last but not least, uh, uh, Pete Aspillard, um, who is the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the European Eurasia Bureau, um, also was ambassador, I think it was Tajikistan, also consul general in Morocco. Casablanca. Casablanca, which is, which is a wonderful post, um, and also served as a DCM in Astana. And we want to thank you for being here, obviously to focus on uh, a lot of what was said earlier with Fiona uh, Hill and Robert Karam as well, focusing on the strategic relationship. Um, obviously, there's a lot of interest here in this room and others on how do you uh, build a really strong relationship? How do you take it to the next level? One of the uh, topics of discussion certainly to come up is what type of trade arrangements, if there can be, between uh, Georgia and the United States. You know, where do things stand? And how do we, how do we, uh, how do we build on what we've created and, and worked on for the last, uh, really, after over 25 years to strengthen this partnership? So, I want to obviously get to everyone in the audience as well for, for questions and, uh, you know, and, and to really delve and jump really uh, into this conversation. Mr. Minister, can I ask you to make the opening statement? Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you very much. I would like to thank the U.S. Institute of Peace and Heritage Foundation as well as the 
Georgian embassy on, in U.S. Uh, to make this gathering happen. Uh, thank you very much, all the guests, for coming today. So we had a very useful, I think, that panel uh, on the first first session, and we already discussed the all security issues. And uh, you give me a lot of thoughts to. Uh, to explain what's going on in our country, what happened, how we increased the resilience of our country and where we are right now in relation with the United States uh, uh, today. So just to give you a small uh, facts, uh, with the United States today we have some 308 million United States trade turnover from which uh, around 220, 260 million is the import from the United States and 120 million is the export from Georgia. The mostly the imports from the United States are the cars and medicines and, and other products from Georgia. It's a federal alloys and, and uh, other commodities which we, which we export to the, to the United States. But what we see, we see that the potential between our two countries is much, much more. And uh, we see that the potential uh, which we need to utilize should, uh, should be pushed uh, to start the talks about the free trade agreement. So yesterday I had a very good meeting with the Secretary Ross and I delivered to him hand in hand the survey which we asked to do the PricewaterhouseCoopers about the free trade agreement, how it can, how it can uh, affect on the uh, Georgia's and United States trade or NOAA, and the numbers are quite good. So if the United States and Georgia will have the free trade agreement in place, the trade or NOAA in the next five years will increase from this 300 million up to 1.5 billion, and from this 1.5 billion, around 1 billion will be the export from the United States, and around 500 million will be the export from, from Georgia to the United States. So it's a, benefit, it's a benefit from the United States as well as in the benefits from the Georgia. For sure, there is a question if today we are the balance positive to the, if the United States is a Balance positive to the to the Georgia. Why we would like to have such kind of free trade agreement, and uh, there are a lot of spillover effects for sure, which we are looking for. And uh, the biggest spillover is the foreign direct investment for Georgia. The foreign direct direct investment is very important a source of income, as well as the technology transfer, the knowledge sharing, and experience, as we all know from, from literature as well as from our experience that as soon as uh, we have the free trade agreement in place with some countries, the foreign direct investment comes and the companies enter to the, to the country freely. So today around 278 companies uh, which are established uh, uh, using the United States capital are operating on the territory of, of Georgia and they are quite active. We have American Chamber of Commerce who is quite active in our country and the society, the American society is growing and we see that the, uh, the commercial interest of United States is increasing year by year in the region. So not in the Georgia but in the, in the Caucasus as well as in the Central Asia. We see that the United States company is investing a lot on the Central Asia countries and we see the new open up on the Uzbekistan. We know that only in the Kazakhstan, United States, companies investing around 50 billion. 
And this is uh, mostly in the gas and oil sector. And when we are talking about the gas and oil sector, you need to take this, this gas and oil from Kazakhstan or from, from Uzbekistan, other, other resources or, or merchandising goods, and then transfer it to, to, the, to the Europe or to the U.S. And to, to, to do it, you need to find the shortest and more safest route. And the, the, the shortest and most safest route is for Georgia, is, is, is via Georgia. So this is the route from, from, uh, from let's say, the Kazakhstan, using the Kazakhstan ports, then the Caspian Sea, then there's Azerbaijan, and then via Azerbaijan, Georgia, and Black Sea ports, and Black Sea, or via Georgia, then to the Turkey and to the Europe. So, and we are investing a lot on that direction. Um, and the last year, economic growth in Georgia was, was quite good. So we had some 5% GDP growth last year. And the estimation from the International Monetary Fund in the beginning was just 3.5%. Um, we argued a lot. So at that time, by the way, I was the Minister of Finance. And I argued a lot with, with the International Monetary Fund that 3.5% um, is is too small, and we will get 4%, and uh, we entered to the parliament with our budget to, to estimation of the 4%, and finally we get 5%. So this year we agreed on 4.8% uh, GDP growth, but uh, the first quarter is 5.2% GDP growth. And I think that we will finalize around 55 to 5.7% GDP growth. And um, this growth mostly coming from, from uh, let's say, the investment, the consumption, as well as the, as well as the net, net export. But the, based on the structural reforms which we implemented in our country the, the last years, and we will still continue to implement the structural reforms, which are, which are very important. So last year what we did, we tackled the several very important problems you mentioned what uh, kind of uh, uh, challenges do we have and how we increase the resilience. So the, the last year was the very important uh, year. So the, one of the biggest challenges in our economy is the current account deficit. 2016, we finalized 12.6% current account deficit, which is huge. But this current account deficit was covered from the foreign direct investment. But last year, we finalized 87 current account deficit, which is for 4% uh, less than, than, than what was in 2016. And in nominal number, it means around 500 million less than what we have in 2016. And how we do it? For sure, we sell much, much more products and services outside of the country, which means that our export increased by 28% 2000. 2017, and we sell a lot of our products outside the country, but as well, uh, we sell a lot of our services, like a tourism. So tourism increased dramatically, and we experienced around 28% uh, increase on the tourism generation. So when we are revenues from, from the tourism, it reached around 2.75 billion. So just to compare all the goods what we sell, Excluding re-export is 2.8 billion, and the generation from the tourism is 2.75 billion. So it's it's around the equal what we have from from all other our all other our export. 
But when we are talking about the trade to Nova of the Georgia, so you should, you should tell me when I should stop because... Keep, keep going. Okay. That's great. Okay. <laughs> when we are talking about the trade to Nova, so the whole trade to Nova of Georgia is around 10.7 billion. From this 10.7 billion, 2.7 billion, as I mentioned, the, this is the export, including the re-export, and some 8 billion is the import in our country. From this 8 billion import, what we imported to our country, around 2.2 billion we importing from the European Union. And right now I want to touch the, the relation with the European Union and what we are doing there. So starting from 2014, as soon as we became the associated members of the European Union, uh, the trade turnover increased dramatically. So at the same day we signed the the deep and comprehensive free trade agreement. So the two directions, the one direction is that we should harmonize all our legislation with the European Union, which means that the, the living standards in our country will increase, that the, the law enforcement will increase, the, all necessary, let's say, legislation will be implemented, etc., etc. But at the same time, what we see, we see that today the European Union supports the Georgian development a lot. And I think that the uh, Director General will, in his speech, then talk about um, what kind of support do we have from European Union. But what I would like to mention that today we have around 2.8 billion trade turnover with European Union and only 380 million trade turnover with United States. And what we would like to see, we would like to see the increase of the trade turnover with the, with the, United, with the United States. So to go a little bit farther on the current account deficit and to strengthen, um, uh, to strengthen the resilience of the country. So last year we implemented the several reforms which we called the growth-friendly fiscal reforms. Under this growth-friendly fiscal reforms, we fully changed the corporate profit tax modality. And right now in Georgia, um, the corporates are taxed on the profit only in case of the distribution of the dividends. So what it gives, uh, uh, in the final, it gives around 130% increase on the reinvestment rate. And if usually in Georgia we have the reinvestment around 300 million, last year we had 722 million reinvestment, which means that the companies who has 10% or more the foreign capital, they reinvested their money in Georgia's economy, don't withdraw as a dividend. So from other hand, we increase the indirect taxation like an excise taxes on tobacco, on the cars, on the fuel, which for sure limit the, the, the imports from, uh, from, from outside. But, but at the same time, what we did, we increased the capital spendings and we decreased the current spending. So altogether, these, these all measures increase the resilience of the economy and helps to increase the savings in the economy, which is very, very important uh, to, to, uh, to, Georgia's, uh, to Georgia's economy. Just as, uh, just as an example, so the, the government savings was 2.5% to GDP, and they should increase up to 6% to, to GDP on the 2020. So we all, we 
So I am the politician. You are you a politician right now? I will keep my remarks short. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we we, we we all know how much important when you promise to your citizens uh, something in the pre-election period. So what is good happen right now in Georgia that um, in the pre-election period in 2016 we elaborated the four-pillar reform agenda. So, and what is good that this four-pillar reform agenda, which is about the education, about the special development, which means that improving the core infrastructure of country, um, uh, this is about the economic reforms, and one of them I just described, and this is about the open governance. So all these reforms are already embodied on the midterm budget, which means that we already, already know how and where we should find the money to, uh, and sources to get all this reform until 2021 and support it by the International Monetary Fund and all IFIs, which means that what we promise to our citizens will be delivered. In that direction, for sure, the international society support to Georgia is very important. And in this case, I would like to particularly mention the USAID support. And I would like to thank you, sir, for your continued support uh, during the last 25 years. And uh, I have a very, very big uh, case of... Uh, of describing of USID support in our country. And honestly, even right now, we have, uh, we have support on, in particularly all, all direction of the sectoral, uh, sectoral economy. So we have support on the rural development. We have support on the energy direction. We have support on the democracy building. We have support on, um, uh, on the society building. So a lot of support which, which we get from the USID and I'm very thankful to, uh, to, to, to USID on, on that support. So I think that for my first intervention, I, I, am, I am okay. Thank you. Starting from the next round, I will go deeper. Thank you very much. Mr. Minister, thank you. I think you highlighted um, really positive growth numbers. I know the IMF, uh, there was, a, I think, a staff visit in April that went really went quite well. I think the forecast, their forecast was, was really upbeat. Um, I, hopefully you haven't stolen all the thunder from Brock, um, but, but I think you uh, were right to point out uh, the importance of U.S. support, USAID, um, and then also mentioning uh, several of the sectors um, in business enabling environment, of course, is important. So I'm going to turn it over to Brock. To, to talk about that, but also uh, sort of USAID uh, ongoing effort, but also looking ahead. And, and, and the good note here in Washington, too, is that uh, these resources are uh, both in terms of the administration uh, and Congress are well supported. And uh, a lot of discussions about foreign assistance. But one thing that has remained constant uh, across the political spectrum in Washington has been this great deal of support for assistance to Georgia to support uh, the type of projects and efforts that you talked about in Brockville as well. Well, thank you very much, Jonathan. And uh, I want to take an opportunity to thank the panel for being here today. Um, I would like to thank the Heritage uh, Society and the Institute for Peace. Uh, this is a very important opportunity to have a dialogue, to have a di discussion about the future of our partnership and the exciting things that are going on in Georgia. Uh, I just got back from spending actually almost a week in Georgia. And, uh, you know, in as much as... Um, 
we see the changes incrementally when you live in Georgia. I hadn't been back to Georgia since 2006, so it was tremendous just to look at the skyline, right, when you land. But my first visit was uh, back in uh, 1999, in fact. I will tell you my, my love affair, if you will, with Georgia has gone back uh, almost 25 years in, by itself. And uh, you, you look at some of the changes that have gone on, just not with the skyline, but whether it's the infrastructure, whether it's uh, just walking down Main Street, you see a real change, um, a, a progressive change, one that's very positive, and we're looking forward to continuing that important partnership that we have with Georgia. And I think that starts with dialogue. Uh, one of the things that I have been impressed with since returning to uh, USAID um, after almost a 10-year hiatus, if you will, is the, is the, the working groups that I have actually now participated uh, now in two, uh, just recently with the Democracy Working Group and also with the Economic Working Group back in March. And, and this is an open uh, dialogue where you can have a frank discussion and you can learn about what's important. And frankly, um, what I've learned is that business is open in Georgia. Um, I think that's a, a very key, important aspect. You mentioned earlier in your remarks that, that Georgia is the non, number ninth in doing business, uh, but they are also the 16th, according to the Heritage Foundation, in economic freedom. And I think those are really two very important key economic figures. Um, as I look back over the last 20 years, uh, just again, I, I've seen a, a tremendous amount of change. But um, during my two weeks, or I'm sorry, during my one week in, in Georgia, I had a chance to get up to Anaclia. And I think that, um, just to mention the seaport, albeit that A, doesn't have any direct correlation with the actual seaport itself. We're doing actual uh, uh, programs around the port in helping uh, create small business opportunities uh, for businesses, of which I also visited. But let me just say, um, you know, you've got a $2.5 billion infrastructure program going on with that, with that infrastructure, with, that, with, a point, that, that, with a port. That's a real game changer. Uh, they're going to create something that is not just uh, impactful for the country, but the entire region. Uh, and looking out um, throughout Anaclia and visiting, the, actually going right to the sea point and talking to the people who are involved with the project and seeing their vision, I, they're, they're very passionate and they're very, uh, they've got a very uh, aggressive timeline. I mean, they're talking about getting their first uh, container in the first quarter of next year. And if that happens, um, there's going to be a lot of positive things that are going on. But even still, uh, if you look at the, the long-term plans for Anaclia, it's uh, tremendous. It's going to help Georgia um, throughout that entire region. Uh, just talking about a few more things, because I, I do want to keep my remarks somewhat short, because, I, I, again, I, I know we're going to have a little bit of a question and answer, and I'm looking forward to having a little bit more back and forth. But I think in the ag sector, I think it's, it's worth noting, uh, we've, USAID has heavily invested in the ag sector. Uh, and since in 2017, uh, our programs have trained uh, 190,000 people. We've facilitated credit for more than 78,000 farms. We've generated $56 million in, in new growth sales and leveraged uh, investments of $11.6 million. Uh, our programs have created a, a legacy of strong self-sustainability and commercial institutions, uh, including 29 farm centers, 24 food processing uh, facilities, 10, 10 cold storage facilities, six primary producers, and one testing lab, providing 370,000 rural households. Uh, I'm sorry, um, and I hate to read for these things, but I think the statistics in, in this case are very important, and those statistics show you how far Georgia has gone. Um, we're looking forward to, to working with Georgia as a partner. Uh, we're excited to be part of its, its future. We also understand that there are some stumbling blocks along the way. 
uh, one of those stumbling blocks, if you will, or, or actually problematic issues in the ag sector is the marmalated stink bug, right? So I think some of you have heard about that, and I the actually the, the stink bug, oh. to be oh. short. Uh, yeah. It's the, the brown marmalade, marmonated, marmonated. Mar- I, what did I say? Marmalade. Marmonated. Right. I was thinking marmalade, right? Um, but the marmonated stink bug. Uh, I'll just keep it at stink bug. But, you know, honestly, it's, it's a huge okay. devastation. Okay. And um, I, I believe they've lost between 40 and $50 million um, in the last uh, uh, season. Uh, I visited a couple of farms while I was in Georgia, and it has destroyed in, entire crops. It's been uh, very devastating. And we're actually uh, working with them to solve this problem. We, we launched a $3 million effort just recently while I was in Georgia to help them fight this scourge. Um, we're actually working with an American company in a small town in Oklahoma where they're actually producing the, the traps to help uh, fight this, this effort and, or this problem. And so uh, we're looking at a number of levels to help Georgia, not just on the ag sector, but in the energy sector as we have in the past. And uh, we'll continue to, to look to Georgia as, uh, as an important strategic partner in the area. As we know, they are in a very, very important strategic area, and we're looking forward to uh, working with them. So thank you. Brock, thank you. And I think you highlighted uh, that support and, and continued support for Georgia's economy and, and a longstanding relationship uh, and the success, too, in, in specific sectors. Uh, maybe I can turn, uh, Christian, to you now uh, to talk about the EU uh, side of this. And, and obviously, one of the things I wanted to point out, too, is that, that, that the U.S. and the EU have a tremendous amount of cooperation uh, on the ground, both between the the embassies, but also uh, with your team out there as well, representatives in USAID, and I think that has been invaluable uh, to to the work that's been taking place, support for Georgia, and uh, and I know that uh, with both of you sitting next to each other, that that work will continue. But maybe you could speak to the to the the EU side of this and and also some of the progress that you see yeah. uh, Georgia has made. <clears throat> Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jonathan. And thank you for arranging this, uh, those who have arranged it and giving this opportunity to discuss, to discuss this issue. It is, it is essential. And uh, as you said at the beginning, uh, Georgia is uh, the star. And, and that is true when we look on the transition that has taken place over the last uh, 10, 15 years. It is impressive. Uh, you just, the previous speakers mentioned the various indexes that show that this is uh, a country which is doing extremely well when it comes to business environment and improvements. It's also interesting how well Georgia has done when it comes to open society. Indexes about transparency, which is uh, a sign of the efficiency that they have put into fighting issues such as corruption. So all of that are, are good things. And I think that one reason why this has been so successful is because the vision from Georgia has been the Euro-Atlantic integration and where the relation to the EU has played a very important role. Why? Because this association agreement and the awful DCFTA, as Deep and Comprehensive Free Trade Agreement in terms of term, that one has provided a fairly good roadmap for reforms. A roadmap for reforms, not only when it comes to the trade issue, but also into various other areas. And, Minister, you mentioned it. And, and you, we can see already now uh, how that has affected trade, which has increased substantially, as was mentioned. But it has also provided the necessary environment for direct investments. 
uh, those who invest can be fairly sure that the investments will be well taken care of and therefore they can take the risk of doing the investment. And I think we have seen that development as well. So all that is good and quite impressive and I would like to commend the government and the, the measures that they, and the energy that they are putting into these issues. Now that being said, of course, there is a need to continuously look into how this can further be, be improved. And uh, the minister pointed to that uh, you have a very ambitious reform program underway on education, on also addressing the issue of the urban and rural divide, which is essential, but also when it comes to structural reforms of the economy. And there, there are some issues which we are looking into now in particular. One is the issue of, uh, shall we call it, uh, commercial justice, uh, where there is not so much that you can't get it, but it's just that the issue is to strengthen the instruments and the infrastructure for it. And the other one, which is very important, is to look into the whole the financial sector and see to that that can develop even further. Measures are underway. We are very much involved in it. And it's a pleasure to, to, to point to that for this whole period of reforms, of transition, EU has been very actively involved in, in supporting and we are running right now at the level of 120 million in grants, euro, on a yearly basis. We have also provided, in addressing the macro-financial situation, macro-financial stability support. Just recently, we have agreed on another 45 million. And we have done it in a number of areas. So it has been supporting the digital reform. It has been supporting rural development. Right now, very much focusing on small and medium-sized enterprises and seeing to that the industry in and the, the, those who are active in the economy in Georgia can draw the full benefit of the free trade agreement. The reality is that Georgia, when the association agreement and the deep comprehensive free trade agreement have been fully implemented, which will be fairly soon, will more, for all practical purposes, be able to be on the European market, the 500 million market, with its products. So that is what we're also focusing on very much. And we are focusing on infrastructure. And in terms of instruments, uh, we have found it quite interesting to work on issues such as uh, how to provide financing for small and medium-sized enterprises. And that has to do with the, the banking sector that is, uh, has not been fully geared up for that kind of purpose. We are now looking into how can we get more of local currency credits out on the market. It is, of course, a big risk for an actor on the Jordan, in the Jordan economy to take, to take loans in dollars or in euros when he's, active, when he's actually working on the, on the local market. So we're looking into that one. And we're looking on the major infrastructure elements. And there we have an interesting project which I would like to mention. And that is a new approach when it comes to infrastructure. We have been working very hard with uh, blending arrangements within national financial institutions. And what we now are moving into is much more of guarantees. Naming what this is about is trying to tap the, the capital market in a broader sense for the interesting projects that are out there in, in Georgia. And it is within the context of something called the external investment plan that we are putting lots of efforts into. And I think we are going to see quite a lot of possibilities in, in Georgia. Let me finally say two words about the regional element. Uh, one thing is the regional hub that Georgia has all the potential, 
has already become and has already potential to become even much more. That goes for transport when it comes to the one belt, one road, but it goes very much also when it comes to energy. And I'm thinking of the TANA pipeline, I'm thinking of other pipelines where Georgia's role is essential. But Georgia also plays an important role when it comes to the regional cooperation between those countries who, who are within what we call the Eastern Partnership. That is uh, Armenia, that is Azerbaijan, that's Georgia, that is also Ukraine, Moldova and Belarus. And there they have created together a cooperation which we are supporting very much, which has to do with helping explaining experiences on governance and how to become better at that, on how to make the economy more competitive, on how to see to that infrastructure can actually happen, and finally, and also to see to how people to people can be more engaged and have more happen there, and Georgia plays an important role in that context as well. I think I'll stop here. Great. Uh, Christian, thank you, and I think it highlighted the, um, both the work um, that Georgia has done as the star pupil, but also some new opportunities. Um, and you mentioned DCFTA and AA and association agreement, something that, that Georgia is moving really closer to fulfilling its obligations, which is significant. And then how do you build on that um, and obviously access to uh, 500 million people in the European market is, is critical. Um, I think one of the, maybe the, the, the dirty secrets here too is that underlying this association agreement efforts is strong U.S. support for Georgia to implement the, this agreement um, uh, and these agreements going forward. And I think that's really an area of, of great cooperation and importance to Georgia. And I've and seen that in the agriculture sector before um, where, where the U.S. has played an important role, USAID and, and the State Department. Uh, Elizabeth, can I turn to you um, to, to fill in sort of this picture on the U.S. side and uh, the strategic economic partnership and how, uh, how you're looking at it, how the State Department looks at it. Uh, obviously, it was a great, uh, I thought, a great opening uh, session uh, with the Secretary of State and Georgian Prime Minister uh, which focused in part on, on economics as security. And, and how do we look at that? Uh, Georgia and the United States, this relationship has grown so much um, over the past two decades. Uh, really, you know, Georgia is a key, a key ally and partner. Uh, we talked a little bit before even coming here about the sacrifice that Georgian soldiers have made. But how do you see that going forward? And how do we fill in this picture and, and, move, and move this relationship to the next level? Well, thank you so much. And again, uh, it's a pleasure to be here this morning with this very distinguished panel. And I, I want to thank the organizers so much for uh, pulling this uh, important event together. Um, many of the things I will say will repeat what we've already heard, but maybe from a slightly different angle. And we are reflecting now on this milestone of uh, Georgia. Uh, and we agree, of course, that Georgia has emerged as a democratic leader in the region and has embarked on an ambitious economic four program that has already shown impressive results, as we've heard. And all the while, as Georgia has been making these great straight, uh, strides, the United States and America and, and Georgia have cultivated a deep and enduring partnership based on a joint commitment to democratic values and global security. And yes, it's with particular gratitude that I note Georgia's contributions to the Resolute Support Mission in Afghanistan, 
we're deeply grateful for your sacrifices. Uh, no discussion of Georgia will be complete without acknowledging Russia's occupation of the Georgian territories of Abkhazia and South Ossetia, as well as its broader efforts to destabilize Georgia. So I want to take this opportunity to reaffirm our support for Georgia's independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity within its internationally recognized borders. I want to commend the government's peace initiative that is before the parliament and which contains numerous uh, proposals to encourage trade and personal connections across the administrative boundary lines. Despite this occupation, Georgia experiences economic growth. And we believe the steady economic progress Georgia is currently experiencing and its rising rankings, we heard them, it's currently ninth in the world, in the World's Bank Ease of Doing Business Report, are tributes to sound economic principles. My government continues to support the Prime Minister's focus on economic growth, including his four-point plan to improve education, invest in infrastructure, streamline taxation and governance structures, and implement judicial reform. Our economic strategy is tied to our support of Georgia as a prosperous and democratic nation, one that is making progress on its Euro-Atlantic goals. In cooperation with the government, other donors, and civil society, we are focused on strengthening institutions and the rule of law framework, increasing bilateral trade and investment, utilizing targeted economic assistance, and supporting regional economic cooperation. So I want to uh, recognize also today not only Georgia's contributions to, to European security and its role as a regional anchor for advancing democratic reform and economic reform, but also as uh, a former ambassador to Tajikistan, I know that Georgia has a unique potential to help further expand trade and commercial ties across the South Caucasus, Central Asia, and beyond to Europe and East Asia. I'd like to just briefly touch on two key issues, Georgia's contribution to European security, the important connection between the rule of law and economic growth, and Georgia's potential to help unlock greater regional prosperity. On the first one, I think it's important at the outset to place Georgia within the context of broader U.S. strategy towards Europe, which asserts that a strong and free Europe is in the United States' vital interest. As the President made clear in the national security strategy, Russia's subversion and aggression are threatening this vision seeking to undermine confidence in Western ideals and weaken the credibility of our commitment to transatlantic unity, European governments and institutions. <coughs> this is a reality that Georgia understands all too well. In, in addition to Russia's subversion, we're also engaged in strategic competition with China. We cannot challenge these uh, we cannot uh, tackle these challenges on our own. We need a Georgian partner that's resilient with strong institutions and rule of law and growing economically. 
And this is why my country has provided Georgia with more than $4.5 billion in assistance since 1992, an investment we are continuing most recently with uh, this year's omnibus spending bill, which was signed by the president in March, which directs an allocation of a $105 million uh, U.S. dollars of foreign assistance to Georgia. This assistance will help Georgia continue reforms and come closer to achieving its goals of integrating more closely in Euro-Atlantic institutions. On judicial reforms and economic growth, I'd like to talk about one institutional reform, which is, part, which is judicial reform, an important part of the Prime Minister's platform. Georgia has successfully started a comprehensive justice sector reform, and it's critical to the public's confidence in institutions. As we already heard a little bit about, the private sector also must be confident that business deals and potential investment disputes will be handled in line with international best practices. Reforms that provide the private sector the ability to transparently adjudicate commercial cases needs to be part of Georgia's foundation of a vibrant economy. Georgia, with the assistance of the United States, is working on a system of commercial chambers that would bring more transparency and integrity to such cases. A commercial chamber would assure investors attracting new investment from abroad and retaining existing investors, which is critical to increasing economic growth. And we encourage the Georgian government to continue to focus on this important reform. We also continue to strongly support increased opportunities for U.S. businesses in Georgia, including through our support for commercial exchange programs. Uh, we have a partnership with the Department of Commerce and with the America-Georgia Business Council, and we have uh, brought 14 representatives of U.S. companies to Tbilisi. We hope we'll have a similar mission in 2019, which will be yet another opportunity to strengthen economic ties with Georgia. And finally, Georgia as a regional leader, and you have an important regional role. Georgia's success in implementing democratic and economic reforms, as well as its openness to free trade and entrepreneurship, significantly enhances efforts to develop an economic corridor that links markets in the South Caucasus and Central Asia to Europe and China. Georgia's global approach to free trade is a smart way to attract new partners and investment. It will help Georgia develop as a stronger economic partner for the United States. Georgia has also taken steps alongside many of its neighbors to significantly increase investments in infrastructure, including several port projects, and we already heard about them, and efforts to improve road and rail networks. We heard about Anaklia Deep Sea Port, an effort by the Georgian government to help build this deep sea port in the Black Sea. Two U.S. companies, the Conti Group and SSA Marine, will be involved in this, uh, in this development and construction <coughs> and operation. Another U.S. company, PACE, is in the process of expanding its operations in the port of Poti. By modernizing its port, road, and rail infrastructure, Georgia maximizes its own potential for foreign direct investment and creates new possibilities for trade. There's also significant regional value in energy sector. 
Uh, you, Georgia has provided a reliable transit state for the Baku Tbilisi Jehan uh, oil pipeline and for the southern gas corridor, which will be bring Caspian gas to Turkey this June and to Italy by 2020-21. This gas corridor will enhance European energy security and it would not be possible without Georgia's cooperation and support. So through its embrace of reform and free trade infrastructure investment, support for European energy security, Georgia has created important political and economic opportunities for itself and for the broader region. You talked about a dirty little secret earlier. I have a little dirty secret, too, and that is that I have never been to Georgia. And I may be the only person in this room who has never been to Georgia. <laughs> but I will say, uh, working in Kazakhstan and in um, uh, Tajikistan, Georgia was very often held out as the model. Georgia had implemented the reforms, and these countries could see that it could be done. And so we often pointed to Georgia as the star, as we already heard. So I hope very much and that in the near future I will have the opportunity to go and see for myself the wonderful progress you've made. Uh, and uh, with that, I will conclude my remarks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you for those remarks. And I think... <laughs> Uh, I think you went through sort of a, just building on what Brock said, just this extraordinary cooperation that exists. And also, I'm, I'm glad you brought up justice sector reform. I know it's something that the EU looks at as well. And it's not, uh, it's not about, uh, you know, picking out uh, one specific challenge. It's about uh, creating the, the right type of business, enable, uh, business environment for uh, Georgia, uh, not only now but in the future. Uh, and I think it's something that all... Uh, Western democracies struggle with uh, to ensure that, that they remain market-oriented, uh, democratic, and have the right infrastructure for, uh, to attract investment. And that's something that is a lifelong endeavor for all countries to, to keep, uh, keep their markets open and transparent. If I could, and just open up uh, with a quick question about, about Georgia as a regional hub, which was mentioned uh, on by almost, I think, all of the panels mm -hmm. as well. And, and I wanted to get a sense from you. We're, we're, you know, building on what they have said, it was mentioned energy, uh, obviously, and that's been uh, something that Georgia has played a role for quite some time now. I also want to mention the importance of, the, of uh, electrical grids, that Georgia plays an important role, and I know USAID, U.S. government, and others have focused on between Armenia and uh, Georgia, but also uh, Turkey and Georgia as well. Uh, how important that is, but maybe if you could speak to that that regional center, and uh, and both for European and American investors, uh, what are the opportunities that you see, and also maybe speak to uh, some of the challenges as well. Uh, you have important regional partners, um, some that uh, that Elizabeth was talking about that look to Georgia as a model that quite that haven't quite made it to the point where there is necessarily as transparent or as focused on the, the right type of business-enabling environment and how we can best assist uh, in that environment to support Georgia as a, a regional uh, hub. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you all for encouraging us on our success and our reforms. Um, and I would like to mention that uh, the continuation of the reforms depending on the political will. 
So, and this is the the utmost when you are uh, implementing so many forms during uh, so many years. And uh, what is good good in our country that as soon as the government is committed to deliver some reform, we are delivering it. So, and there is no question. If we committed to do something, we we do it because we do believe that. Uh, if we do something, we do it in benefit of our country, of our citizens, and uh, it helps a lot. When we are talking about the sustainable growth of economy, uh, it's it's very important uh, to note that right now there is a clear understanding in the country that all reforms, all economic reforms, and I have a huge, huge list. This is the only the economic reforms which right now are undergone in our country. So... All these reforms uh, should help to the to the sustainable growth, uh, and 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 this is the, the the most important. So the the structural change of the country helps to be sure that you will get the success in many years in the future. When we are talking about the hub, this is also the part of the reform. So um, without the uh, Without the rate of uh, of corruption, what what we have in our country, without the rate of the criminal, what we have in our country, we cannot become the the hub in the region. And we we have uh, the we are the most safest country in in the broad region. So we are number five worldwide as a less criminal country among 125 countries. And uh, by the corruption per- perception. We're number 46 among 190 countries. And I think that it helps a lot. It helps to, to attract the international companies as well because if we're talking about the, to become a hub, to become a regional hub, you need to create the environment where all participants want to see themselves and to work there. And this is, I think, that's very important because right now we are in the very competitive environment. So all countries want to become the, the hub. So all the, all the countries uh, have the ambitions to become a hub, and all of them are implemented, some of the forms, but the geopolitical uh, location as well as the, uh, as the political will with the, with the government has right now, I think that helps a lot to implement such kind of reforms which helps to attract many, many internationals to our country. So today, uh, via Georgia, as it was already mentioned, the several pipelines goes. And today, uh, European Union gets, will get uh, around 24 BCM uh, per year starting from 2019. And then it can even, even, uh, even become more and more so up to 30 billion BCM, only the top and ton up. This is only, 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 only one project which is, which is extending it. Uh, and I think that uh, the, uh, what we have right now on the Central Asia as a resources, which, which should be delivered to the, to the Europe, uh, is, is, is very important to deliver on the shortest and safest route. And this is the Georgia, and this is via Georgia. And for sure, we will do everything to have such projects in, in our country. So you mentioned the, 
and it was mentioned the transport corridors. And I would like to mention that we as a government are, and country are very active on the transport corridors. So there are the several corridors like a Trasica, like a Carrick, like Lapis Lazuri, like a uh, Black Sea Gulf, uh, Gulf Corridor. So all these corridors finally concentrated on the Georgia and via Georgia to the European direction. And you mentioned uh, the, the new Silk Road direction and the middle corridor is also very important. And uh, already uh, we get uh, a benefit from it. So a lot of companies right now are looking to that corridor. We get the new transport uh, cargoes to that corridor. And it was mentioned that the Anaplia deep support will be constructed in the next few years. So it, it's already started. The construction is already started. So and OPIC is right now considering to be the lender on that, uh, and that, on that port. And that the, as it was mentioned, the SSA Marine US port operator as well as the Conti Group are there, which is, which is very important for us. And altogether, it's 2.5 billion project. But at the same time, to even strengthen the transit capability of the country, we are investing a lot on the east-west highway and uh, uh, on the modernization on the Georgian railway because uh, you need the supplementary infrastructure so only the port cannot work. You need the railway and you need the roads to, to deliver the goods to the, to the port. So I think that the, all together, the business environment, the political will, the investment on the infrastructure all together creates the, the, the hub which uh, we would like to see the Georgia and not only uh, the hub on the, on the transit, as I mentioned, for the goods, for the, for the um, energy sources, but, but as well as for, for the business. So I think that the Georgia has the full potential to attract, as I mentioned, the international companies to have the headquarters there. And we see that right now a lot of international financial institutions have the headquarters in our country and cover the region from our country. And I think that they feel themselves quite good in, in our country. And for sure, we will, we will continue to support this direction. And uh, uh, the certified trade missions are very important from United States because when, we have, when you have the trade missions from United States, it increases the interest from United States to the country, and it gives you the opportunity to, to give to the companies the exact opportunity what you have in your country. And I would like to thank the... Uh, the Commerce Department, last year we had the trade mission. I do hope that this year we will get another one. So, and it helps to make closer in Georgia and United States companies, because as I mentioned, around 270 companies are active right now in Georgia. But still, we would like to see more and more United States companies in our country. While we do this, I know we have a lot of, of, of experts uh, who are here, and I see someone from OPEC here. And maybe we'll turn uh, to Merrill first uh, to ask some questions. And just if you can, just please uh, identify yourself and let us know where you are from and who you represent. Merrill Burkow, I'm Deputy VP of Investment Policy at OPEC, Overseas Private Investment Corporation. We are the U.S. Development Finance Institution. As many of you know, we've been active in Georgia, very active since the 1990s. 
Uh, I just came from Georgia where we were doing an analysis of the broader outcomes, the impacts of our projects in Georgia, and we were really excited to see some of what has come out of that. We've uh, supported everything from the Tbilisi Marriott to the new Moxie, the restaurants on the Funicular Hill, to Teliani, which is part of your new exporting to the U.S. Uh, and we were obviously very happy to see what our own investments uh, were doing in terms of succeeding and growing. But one of the really interesting things we found in this analysis was that because of these investments that OPIC supported, there were over 300 small businesses created in Georgia to supply these entities. And thousands of people now working for those small businesses because they were able to supply some of these entities we supported. And I think it's really remarkable that what we were told over and over again is when they, these small companies are associated with a U.S. firm, whether it's Marriott or Wendy's or whatever, there is an understanding by potential clients that they are meeting international standards, they are dealing with environmental and social situations appropriately, and so they are then able to grow themselves because they are seen as very um, acceptable businesses for other people to work with. So I just wanted to comment that you know the impacts of what U.S. entities are doing there, the impacts supported by OPIC are huge. We are going to be involved, as you just mentioned, most likely in some of the infrastructure Coming up, our new Gazelle Fund is supporting a small, well, not so small, cement company that will be working on some of the infrastructure there. So I just would like to hear from anyone who wants to comment on you know, sort of the downstream effects of the investments that uh, U.S. government is supporting there. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we take a, a couple of questions and we'll, we'll pull, them, pull them together. We have right up front. Thank you for your comments. Um, I'm Steve Powell, Managing Director of Sino Powell Capital. Uh, you all know what capital is. I'm Powell. Sino is a prefix meaning China. And I heard China mentioned for the first time by Elizabeth today. Um, I think China needs to be discussed. I know this is not a China-Georgia conference, but still I think it's a factor in any investments that people might, might want to make in Georgia. You're at the center of the Silk Road, and depending on what direction you go in, the Silk Road either starts or ends in China. And China has been making a lot of investments along the Silk Road. So I'd be interested to hear how um, you're coordinating interest from China and investments from China with interest and investments from the United States. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll take one more. Alex Mulekishuli, IHS Market. Thank you very much for your comments. Thank you, Minister, for your comments. Uh, very informative. Lots of data. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, a question that kind of cuts to the core uh, of uh, economic development in Georgia that has to do with unemployment. Uh, Georgia has uh, uh, been for years plagued by uh, a fairly high degree of unemployment, and I, I, I was wondering if you can comment on that. Uh, and also um, related to this somewhat, um, can you please provide comments on uh, the level of national debt and the level of uh, hard currency and gold reserves? Thank you very much. Great. Mr. Minister, do you want to 
tackle debt, unemployment, absolutely. Easy, easy issues. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can even show the charts. So I have all the charts with me. So um, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, I would like to thank the OPIC. Uh, OPIC is very active since 1992, and until now, the OPIC invests in more than 50 projects, and the investment is more than 500 million. So what we know that even today, the OPIC is considering to 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 invest on six to seven projects altogether around 100 million. And I think that this is very important and I would like to ask you to share your experience with USTR because this is what we, what we found in our research with the PricewaterhouseCoopers that uh, uh, with uh, increased trade with the United States as soon as the free trade agreement will be there around 22,000 jobs should be created in Georgia because of the spillover effect. So, and uh, what we see, we see that the multinationals, as soon as they enter to the country, they help to increase the standards on the SME. And this is, this is very important. And we have this special program to support the SMEs on their direction to increase their capability to supply the goods and services to the multinationals. And as soon as the Marriott, Mac, Moxie, or other companies like that enter to the country, it helps, it helps a lot. And in that direction, I don't see that it can be the downside, so only the upside, what I see on, on the investment from the United States. Um, so I would like to encourage and commend you to look at the projects, uh, what, what you have in, in our country. You are quite active. And I think that two, two infrastructural projects, uh, especially the Anaclia Deep Support, as well as uh, the, uh, the expansion of, of the PACE terminal in the Potiport are very important. Both of them are infrastructural projects. Both, both of them strengthen the transit potential of the, of the country. So, um, and it, it, it's really very important. You mentioned the Teliani Valley. So, and um, just for the information, the Teliani Valley is one of the best wine producer factory in our country who owns the wine, uh, the factory itself, as well as the vineyards and they are selling the wine outside of the Georgia as well as uh, in the United States. So what I remember by heart, uh, last year they sell around 50 million bottles, which is really incredible. So it's uh, it's really good uh, good company, and, and thank you very, thank you OPIC to to support. So the the next question, the next question was about the China Georgia relation and what's going on there. Uh, we have very good relation. Uh, in 2017, in the May, we signed the free trade agreement with China. So we was among the first countries who joined the initiative of, at that time, they called it Silk Road Initiative. Uh, and then they changed the name, and right now it's One Belt, One Road Initiative. In early 2015, we signed the cooperation with China. At the time, our prime minister was the minister of economy, and he signed with uh, the commerce minister, Chang, at the time, the, uh, the agreement on the cooperation on the Silk Road, and it pushed the relation between our two countries. So in 2017, 
Uh, we signed the free trade agreement uh, with China, and um, what we see, we see uh, a quite big increase in, in our trade relations. So right now, the trade turnover between Georgia and China is 970 million, from which around 200 million is export from Georgia, and 700 million is the import from, uh, from China. But uh, what we see, we see that uh, the very important products like Georgian wine increase dramatically in the, in the, in the Chinese market. So uh, last two years, uh, in 2016, we had some 85% growth. In 2017, we have same same number. So Chinese market be- become number third market by the volume of the Georgian wine which we sell there, and uh, uh, and by the price of the Georgian wine, they become number number second, and uh, for sure we uh, we will continue the trade with them, and uh, uh, because it's it's a huge market for us, uh, and we would like to utilize this opportunity to 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 trade with them. Um, in regard of the investment, uh, uh, Chinese behind the United States for sure. Uh, uh, only in last 10 years, United States invest in our country around 800 million, and all investment of the Chinese in our country is around 350 million. Um, but right now, they are quite active. So they, from uh, four industrial free trade zone, two belongs to them. One is in the Kutaisi, another is in the Poti, and um, they are quite uh, quite active. So uh, we can see in the future the activities of, of China, but uh, we don't think that it can be a threat for uh, for us. Uh, so the visitors from China last year we had some fourteen thousand uh, people only. And uh, from United States, we had some 42,000 people. So I think that um, the United States is quite ahead in relation with, uh, with China, but still we need to deepen and uh, uh, strengthen our relation in regard of the economic one. And for sure, the, the support what we get from United States is uh, far, far ahead from, from relation what we have from uh, from China, but but still the initiative, the initiative of the One Belt One Road is very important, and um, why for Georgia is very important because there is uh, five principles of coexistence, peaceful coexistence of the countries along the along the Silk Road, and these five principles are very important. The first principle is not interfering also of uh, internal. Uh, matters of the countries. Uh, the second principle is the respect of sovereignty and territorial integrity, etc., etc. But these two, two um, let's say the principles are very important to us. So the, you know that we have the territorial uh, problems, 20% of our territory is occupied, etc., etc. So, and not interference and sovereignty and territorial integrity is, is, is very important. The second thing is uh, very important that uh, how we see the, the countries and the ability of the countries along the Silk Road that 
the Georgia can be the complementary and can be the beneficial of, of, of the whole Silk Road. So we are not the competitors of the countries who has the gas and oil. So far away from it. So we don't have the gas, we don't have an oil. So the, the Azerbaijan and all other countries in the Central Asia, they, they, they are the gas and oil producers. We are not. Uh, if we look far, a little bit far away on the Mongolia, on the China and, and other countries, so we are also not competitors. So we can provide, let's say, the very good platform to create some joint ventures, etc., etc. But but and can be the com- complementary and benefit, find the synergies of it. So this is how we see it right now. I I I. I Talked exact numbers of the visitors. I talked exact uh, tell exact numbers of uh, numbers of the investment and and trade. But still, um, the the Georgia is the relatively small country. So yeah, so we are only 3.7 million citizens. So th- this is the all the country and the territory of the Georgia is uh, all all territory of the Georgia, including the occupied territories, is 70,000 square kilometers and. Uh, you cannot allow yourself. We, we don't have the luxury to be the protectionists. We don't have such kind of luxury because the country is too small. As soon as you will start the protectionism, it means the pressure on the inflation as well as the quality on the, on the small country. So the only way to, to, to support the competitiveness of the country is the open up. And we're a very open economy right now. For sure, some part of the economy struggled from it. And uh, for sure, the pro- producers uh, are all the time complaining that even, even with, the, with the European Union, as soon as we, we open up the one factory of the sugar producer is stopped. Mm-hmm. And 600 people uh, right now are looking to the jobs. Uh, but still, we think that the government should think how the government can create the new jobs for that people, but not be the, the protectionist. So, and, and we are thinking right now to create the new sustainable way of new jobs in that region particularly, and maybe we will ask even the European Union to, to support us to create the, these uh, this, this new jobs, but, but, but for, for sure not... Uh, not, not to close uh, the borders. And on, on that case, I would like to, to go to the unemployment. The unemployment is really huge. So, and uh, if uh, you are aware about the last data because of the census of 2014, we, the, the, the statistics department recount the unemployment rate. And 2017, the unemployment rate was 13.9%. Still, the trend starting from, I don't know, 2012 is decreasing uh, uh, dramatically from 17.8% to 13.9%. But the challenge is huge there. And I would like to explain the challenge. Even, uh, even when we're talking about 13.9% unemployment, in employment, 47% are self-employed and working on the rural area. And they are only create 8% of our GDP. So and this is the real issue. And uh, when we are talking about this issue 
for sure we're working to tackle this issue. But, uh, and, we're, and the DCFTA uh, uh, facility as well as the USID support on the rural area development as well, <coughs> another import program with what we have from the European Union on the rural area development, SMA strategy which we elaborate with the, uh, uh, with the KFW as well as, uh, as all other programs are, should, should tackle this, this unemployment. And what, what we should get there is that to increase the productivity on the, on the rural area, which then will create even additional unemployment. And then these people, from these people, we should create the sustainable jobs. So as you see, it's, it's a very complex uh, issue. And with, with our friends, we are, we are working to, to tackle this issue. But yes. I wanted to bring in uh, some of the other panelists to just uh, building on both the, the question of um, uh, a colleague from OPIC who spoke about, I, I think specifically, uh, Christian, of the EU, of, of looking at those models of how you view uh, European business and, and European medium, small, medium-sized business coming into Georgia and facilitating that type of relationship. We talked about the U.S., but also China and, and, and tackling that and the issue and the rise of sharp power. Uh, as well in Georgia. No doubt Georgia is in a geographic position as a small country that, that trade with all of its partners and all of its neighbors is something that's, that's quite important and not always possible when you have a neighbor to the north that, um, that uses trade and economics sometimes as a weapon. But I, I wondered if colleagues want to weigh in on, on China, but also um, on, on SMEs and uh, I think the OPEC example is quite important of what the U.S. is um, seeking to do on the ground in, in Georgia. You mentioned some of the things that, that USAID is doing as well. But, but uh, please jump in. So I'll start up then. Yeah, I think, for, let me first say that I think one thing you said on the, on the benefits of an open economy is probably not only true for small countries. It's also quite true for bigger countries. And I think we have the experience in Europe of that in particular. Now, uh, on the issue of, um, of the small and medium-sized enterprises, uh, as you said, Deputy Prime Minister, this is, this is one of the major challenges, I think, in terms of seeing to that the environment becomes the right one for the development of, of that particular form of, uh, of activity. And uh, what we are doing together is uh, to look into how we can, and with quite substantive means, KFW was one example where we worked together, but also with the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development, is to see how we can provide the necessary financing, but also the necessary kind of, of knowledge for SMEs or those who would like to do startups to exploit this new, very beneficial environment for economic activity that is underway in, in Georgia. And, of course, with the aim of, I, of both looking into the Georgian market but also going beyond to the, to the European market. And it's in this context that, for instance, the ideas we have right now on local currency loans is important. Because for a, for a, for a small or medium-sized enterprise, this is a big challenge to get the financing but also to take the financial risks of, of foreign currency is an additional, additional burden. And it's absolutely true what was said about infrastructure investments or investments being done. 
by us as by others that that create surrounding around which is beneficial for SMEs to develop and we have seen that also also happening in Georgia so uh, uh, this is a challenge but it's something that I think we are we are very much together focusing on and I think it's very much also part of the economic model Deputy Prime Minister that you are that you have outlined and and is going to follow I would just I know we're up against time but I would just add this is a very high priority for us at USAID specifically in Georgia as we're helping uh, SMEs understand how to be more competitive how to understand better better practices how to uh, reach out to other markets uh, in 2017 we created 2000 new jobs so this has been a, a real important target for us. We understand that uh, giving them the tools and creating better atmospheres for them, for their businesses, for their products, um, is very important. But I would also suggest, uh, is, as, as the unemployment issue is a problem, I think the direction that Georgia is going is, is um, obviously in a very positive direction. When you, again, I, I think it's worth noting uh, that the ease of business, uh, th those markers aren't going to reduce unemployment until you get to that point. So what I'm suggesting is that you've got to change the marketplace first in order to increase the employment. And I think those things are happening in Georgia. And so I think uh, as we move ahead, um, I think we're, we're in a really good place. And so I'm excited about the opportunities Thank in Georgia. Thank you very much. Sure. If I may, to continue. Uh, Ma'am? Uh, well, I would just say that, uh, you know, we've uh, lauded a lot of the uh, accomplishments of Georgia, uh, but on the um, sort of foreign investment side and welcoming foreign investors, I would say this is a, a continued, we, everyone needs to continue working on it. This is not, you can't rest on your laurels. The investment climate, um, that's what the investors will look for. They will look for predictability, they will look for transparency, uh, and uh, so we, we will just continue supporting Georgia in this important work. I think what we're going to do, because I know we're running up against mm -hmm. time, um, is to give the minister the last word uh, before we, we break for the next speaker. Uh, minister. Th thank you very much. So I would like to finalize the answers on the question. So to return to the, to the unemployment, so the last initiative, what we would like to start with, uh, uh, with the DG near as well. So we would like to propose to start... Uh, because we have the European External Investment Plan as well as the European Investment Fund there, and we already talked with the European Investment Bank, is to create the Credit Guarantee Fund, which is well known in the Europe and is tackled the market failure, what we, what we have right now in our country. So the, there is um, uh, the several, several directions where we need uh, to support. We have to support the, the SMEs and as it was mentioned there is an expertise, there is a knowledge, there is a technical assistance as well as is the access of finance and in the direction of the access of finance the problem of Georgia is that the, 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 deep, the, uh, the deep of the financial market is too small mm -hmm. and what we have right now in our country is only the commercial banks and this is the real problem and at the other hand the SMEs does not have enough collateral to provide this collateral to the commercial banks. So, and, and only the way how we see right now to, to support the creation of the new jobs is to support the, 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 the access to finance. So the two directions. So one direction is 
to support on the expertise, the technical assistance, knowledge providing, etc., and for other hand, to support the access to finance. To support the access to finance, when they learn the lessons around the world, we find that the credit guarantee mechanisms or schemes or funds are the most spread it uh, in Europe. And because the Europe right now covers us and it covers, as I mentioned, the instruments, what, uh, what was mentioned, so I think that it will be very easy to, see, to establish with the European Union such kind of credit guarantee funds. And when we learn the lessons, the, even the additionality, how you, should, how you should evaluate if the credit guarantee mechanisms or funds are successful or not, nobody is measure how much lendings they, uh, they stimulate. Everyone measures how many jobs are, are creating. So we think that right now we have the several instruments like a Produce in Georgia, which helps a lot, but still it's not enough. So we have a lot of programs in, our, in my ministry, in the Ministry of Agriculture, and it's created a lot of jobs. So we, we count around 14,000 new jobs, which uh, we have created on the, only on the program under the Produce in Georgia, but still it's too small. Last year, the private sector creates 36,000 new jobs, but still, it's not enough. So, and if we will get such kind of instrument, I think that it, um, it can help a lot to, to close this market failure. Um, so, there was another question about the... I think based on sort of timing of, of some of our guests, too, um, if there's anybody who has any follow-up, uh, maybe on some okay. of these questions too, but I think what uh, we, we could certainly spend, based on this just this topic alone, uh, several more hours. And I think what you were expressing, I think in this point, is the need for um, even more creative thinking about how the U.S., the EU, and others can support Georgia. We didn't uh, even talk about land registration either. Yes, which, yeah, I, 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 which I, I failed to mention, but I think it's an important aspect of it economic is. development. That's yeah. True. Yeah. And, and I think it, it leaves us, you know, obviously you, you can see the great deal of cooperation. I think the opportunities, also the challenges for small countries, larger comp, uh, countries, partnerships, um, and new areas of investment. We didn't get a chance to talk about new economy, which I think for Georgia is really going to be important. But again, I just want to, th one, I hope everyone will join me in thanking our panelists um, and our distinguished guests for being here today uh, for this important event. And thank you, USIP Heritage Foundation. Pleasure. Okay. Pleasure. Look forward to seeing you again. Absolutely. I am. No, 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 no. You bet you, this is about the next speaker. So, Elizabeth, thank you very much. Brock, great to have you here. So, ladies and gentlemen, as the panel is leaving, great session. Uh, the, the final speaker here today, um, it, and it's very appropriate that the Minister of Defense uh, is the final speaker for a U.S.-Georgia Strategic Partnership Conference. Um, uh, Minister Levon Izoria uh, has been in office since uh, 2016. Um, a challenging job. I mean, a Minister of Defense uh, for a country uh, that's been invaded and is partially occupied uh, has a hard job. Um, other countries have been are have recently been uh, uh, invaded and occupied, uh, uh, and we didn't learn from from the Georgia experience in, in 2008. Um, so, the movement, as uh, 
Prime Minister mentioned, from strategic partnership to strategic alliance, I think is an important one. And he also oversees the preparation for the, the NATO alliance movement. So, uh, so please join me in welcoming the Minister of Defense of Georgia, Livan Isoria. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for the warm welcome. I'm honored to be here. First of all, I would like to thank the Georgian Embassy, Institute of Peace and Heritage Foundation for the hosting this, this symbolic event. 2018 is a very special year in the many ways. It marks the 10th anniversary of the Bucharest Summit Declaration which stated that Georgia will become a member of NATO. It marks 10 years on from the August war and the centennial anniversary of the Declaration of Independence of Georgia. The past 100 years reflects a time of trials and transformations as Georgia shifted between political realities and came to once more regain its treasured independence. I want to take this opportunity to honor all those that serve and sacrifice to make that freedom possible. Commitment to duty, strength, determination, and sacrifice of individual soldiers is and will always be the strength of our countries. It makes us strong and inspires us to unify in our fight for freedom. I would like to say a special word to thanks and appreciate the very close partnership and friendship that has been forged between our countries and our armed forces. Friendship is stronger based on common values and interests and unity is the strength of our partnership. Currently, 870 Georgian military servicemen and women serve caveat free other the different commands across Afghanistan and will continue to participate until the last US soldier leaves Afghanistan. The US enduring support and assistance has been instrumental for us to provide adequate treatment to Georgian wounded warriors and care for their families through the State of Georgian National Guard Family Support Program. Furthermore, in 2018, we will be expanding our rehabilitation facility in Serovani to provide a regional center of excellence for wounded warriors. We are proud that since 2016, we are providing physical and psychological rehabilitation courses not only to Georgian soldiers, but to the Ukrainian servicemen as well, along with their family members. While we contribute to greater peace and stability, Russia continues to destabilize the regional security and seeks to change the international order. Russia undermines the sovereignty and security of countries worldwide and attempts to subvert and discredit Western democratic institutions and processes. In Georgia, Russia maintains around 10,000 troops in Abkhazia and Srinwali region as I recognize both regions and as independent states with military, economic, and social linkages to the Russian Federation. 
threat Georgia is facing on the front line is not only associated with a direct military aggression, but also includes sophisticated so-called hybrid warfare, a new complex approach that offers a fundamental and new tactics in the conduct of modern warfare. In order to effectively respond to global as well as regional complex security challenges, Ministry of Defense of Georgia continues ambitious defense transformation program, which derives from the Georgia's Euro-Atlantic integration needs and is fully in line with NATO's focus to further strengthen deterrence and defense posture, boost efforts to project stability in the neighborhood and fight against terrorism, advance the alliance modernization agenda, ensure fair burden sharing. With this in mind, we have been carrying out a comprehensive set of reforms. In SDR, MOD introduced a new total defense approach, which places great emphasis on enhancing interagency cooperation as a way to ensure the whole of nation approach and effective use all resources to defend the country. Interagency pillar is a, the cornerstone of effective planning and implementation, which the MOD routinely tests during annual governmental interagency exercise aimed at deepening interaction and coordination at the strategic and operational level against the hybrid warfare and other threats during crisis and warfare. Various state agencies and individual organizations participate in the exercise. This year, the Dugori exercise will be exceptional. It will be held on highest strategic level with involvement of the Prime Minister and relevant senior-level government representatives. In the framework of total defense approach, the MOD implemented important measures to improve reserve and mobilization systems. The new system is based on lessons learned from the Scandinavian and Baltic states, given that we face similar security challenges and have to counter Russia's hostile foreign policy. MOD has already achieved significant progress in reforms. I would like to underline our notable progress in enhancing our NATO interoperability and our success in mirroring the NATO standard of spending 2% of our GDP on our defense budget. Additional personal cost has been reduced from 67 to 53%, and we have increased from 4% to 20.9% of our military budget spending to major system acquisitions, which I must note exceeds the NATO standard of 20%. These improvements has enabled Georgia to purchase the U.S. Javelin anti-armor system, which has significantly improved Georgia's anti-tank capability, contributing to Georgia's potential for deterrence and resilience. It has also strengthened regional security and has made Georgia more capable as partner in the region and around the globe. Allowing Georgia to purchase Javelin system is a testament of the absolute trust towards Georgia which we highly value and appreciate. In coming years, as we continue to increase the spending on equipment, 
Modernization priority will be given to developing major self-defense systems, air defense, artillery, in engineer and intelligence, cyber, surveillance and reconnaissance capabilities. For the first time, the Ministry of Defense has elaborated a long-term acquisition strategy, a policy document and defense portion, uh, resource management handbook, defining key acquisition principles and financial planning and management framework. We named 2018 the year of logistics to help prioritize multi-year uh, logistic initiatives. We hope to make significant progress in reshaping our logistic structures and streamline our logistic processes to improve the sustainability, mobility, and continuous and speedy logistical support of combat units. As I have mentioned before, our number one priority is building institutional planning and training capacity that yields a credible, sustainable, organic deterrent capability. Georgia's Defense Readiness Program is the backbone for strengthening Georgia's combat readiness and resilience. It is tailored to the tasks assigned by the National Defense Plan and is designed to rapidly improve the combat readiness of Georgian infantry battalions and to produce long-term system policies and processes to sustain military readiness. Since 2017, we have been work working on GDRP institution, laying out necessary institutional foundations and building the infrastructure and training facilities for the GDRP training. And now I am delighted to know that recently we started GDRP training and the execution of the program is progressing exceptionally well. After the program is finished, Georgian forces will have the organic capability to train and evaluate units from national missions. To counter complex security challenges and to ensure the effective defense of the country, united and coordinated actions of all government agencies is essential within the framework of total defense. It is necessary to explore and develop new approaches, methods, tactics, and capabilities. Unconventional warfare should become the main principle of the Georgian armed forces. In compliance with SDR and updated National Defense Plan, in 2018 we plan the reorganization of the Georgian Armed Forces with the aim of establishing brigade combat teams and restructuring of the engineer units, special operational forces, as well as combat support and combat service support units. Main emphasis will be placed on standardization table of organizations which will ensure effective and equal distribution of forces and equipment. Stated changes will place the main emphasis on small tactical units capable of execution mission command. In parallel, we are complementing the readiness of the Georgian forces by addressing equipment capability shortfalls. Thanks to the U.S., as I have already mentioned, GEF, received Javelin anti-tank system, and currently the capabilities being gradually disseminated in infantry battalions. With the U.S. support, 
We are also in the process of equipping all infantry battalions with NATO standard small arms, secure tactical communications, and light vision capability. Our goal is gradual to fully transition all infantry battalions to U.S. origin equipment. In 2018, Georgia will continue hosting as well as participating in international exercises. Last year, U.S. Georgia multinational exercise, Agile Spirit and Noble Partner were conducted exceptionally well. Noble Partner was the largest field training exercise ever held in Georgia. This year, we plan to build on the success achieved and increase the scope of the exercise even further. This year, Agile Spirit exercise will be conducted in Western Georgia and act as rehearsal for the planned exercise the following year, which will include amphibious operations. Here I must also mention that positive impact of the Agile Spirit on the Black Sea area. Georgia, as an indivisible part of the Black Sea security architecture, remains committed to contribute to the NATO's efforts in strengthening stability in the region. We continue active employment of all existing cooperation mechanisms with NATO and our partner nations, which are fully in line with our reform objectives and further assist Georgia on its way towards NATO membership. The substantial NATO-Georgia package has become one of the key practical cooperation mechanisms, which significantly assists defense transformation process and helps prepare our country for NATO membership. We remain hopeful that the NATO-Brussels summit will mark an important step. As 29 allies duly recognize Georgia's progress and reforms their commitment to our Euro-Atlantic aspirations, we hope to take away meaningful deliverables from the summit. In the end, I would like to highlight the past few years have been remarkable in terms of advancing the U.S.-Georgia bilateral cooperation. The various high-level visits, including the historical visit of Vice President Mike Pence, increased flow of financial assistance, and multiple projects of cooperation vividly demonstrate that U.S.-Georgia relations have become stronger than ever. This is the result of right policy changes and smart reforms, which is crucial for future development of our defense system and armed forces. Such joint efforts complement our ongoing defense reforms and altogether enhance Georgia's potential for deterrence and resilience. For the past 26 years, the United States as a strategic partner has been standing beside Georgia and the Georgia people safeguarding freedom, security and prosperity, which has been vital for sustainable democratic development of our state. Georgia, as a responsible partner, is dedicated to continue strengthening our friendship and partnership, and I believe this partnership will translate a long-term strategic alliance. Thank you for your attention. As we draw this conference to a close, I just want to take a moment to thank all of you for being here today 
and uh, participating in this uh, discussion. I want to thank our panelists uh, for their participation and the insights they, they brought us today. And I, finally, I want to thank the Embassy uh, of Georgia and uh, the Heritage Foundation for their collaboration and friendship in pulling this uh, event together. So thank you all very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we kindly ask that you please remain seated until the official party departs. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you please exit from the upper level of the auditorium. Thank you.